Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It is Friday, August 9th. And live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's another Ramana Rundown with Chicago Sun-Times editor Ramana Hussein. It's the return of Jacob Kaplan and Dan Pogoshelsky. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist... Uh. Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Trippy Friday. And here's why. So today I really did get up early, everybody. You know, I usually talk about getting up at the crack at 9.30. But today I got up really early, 7.30 in the morning. Now, already, Dr. DJ, you know, uh, uh, in Alton, we get up at like 5 and go fishing. Yeah, all right. Well, it was an Alton time, but it's pretty early for me. We do not do that in Alton. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, which part? Getting up early or going fishing? (laughs) Both. Uh, anyway, where was I? Oh, yes, I had to go get up early because I had a doctor's appointment. All right, I'm going to uh, share a few things with you folks. Uh, a dermatology uh, appointment, yes, because I had this thing on my nose, and I'm not sure what it was. It was just this thing that had been there forever, and everybody had an opinion about it. Wherever I went, someone said, my daughter, ah, it looks like a wart to me. I mean, she's not a doctor, but, you know, that's what she said. Um, the the postman, the mailman's like, you know, Ben, you, uh, you got to check it out. It could be basal cell, you know. Uh, the mailman's got an opinion about it. Everywhere I went, waiters, random people on the street, you know, it could just be a pimple. Anyway, went to the Can't doctor. they just keep it to themselves like me? <laughs> Dr. D. What the D. on your nose? Yeah. Yeah, I better not ask. One time I left the, the room. I came back early. Dr. D was with Lee and I, did you see that thing on his nose? Oh, wait. Sh- oh, sorry, Ben. I didn't see come in there. Anyway, so I went to the doctor bright and early. I tell you, it was bright and early. D. 7.30 yeah. in the morning. Good God. I'm on the, no, I actually didn't take the train. I rode my bike. But anyway, get to the doctor's office of dermatology. He said, oh, you're going to have to do a little test on that baby. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a little, little sample of it. But first, we're going to have to numb the area. All right? <laughs> this opening is gross. <laughs> so we're going to have to numb the area. Now, this won't hurt a bit, folks. Whenever a doctor says this won't hurt a bit, get ready. <laughs> Katie, bar the door. Takes out that needle. <laughs> Ah, that really hurt. I'm tearing up. She's like, man it up, wuss. It's a tough doctor, this lady, all right? Anyway, she scrapes off a little bit. She says, well, we're going to go check it out. You know, it's probably not not a big deal. We're going to set it off to the lab. So I go on my merry way. But meanwhile, D, it's real early in the morning. You know, I got some time to kill. So I go to a little restaurant down the street. They give me a little booth in the corner. How about that? A little booth in the corner. I can plug in my phone. I'm on the phone with people, wheeling and dealing and talking. I feel like uh, Michael Corleone or something like that. Some big shot in the corner of a restaurant talking on a phone. Take out my beloved bright 
bright one to do my pre-show prep. Right, D? Pre-show prep? Show prep. Oh, you don't need the pre? No. Okay. Show prep. Yeah, I guess you're right. If it's prep, then that that takes the pre. I always say pre-show prep, though. You're embarrassing us. Learning so much about radio and podcasting. Anyway, so I'm doing my show prep, and all of a sudden the drug hits me, D. It's like, whoa, that painkiller the doctor gave me. Ooh, ooh, some trippy stuff, man. I'm reading these articles. It's like, is it the drugs or have I read these stories before? For instance, front page story, Trump talking about letting Blago out of prison. Haven't we been talking about that for like years? It seems like, you know what I'm saying? Like, have I read this before? I turned the page. Lori Lightfoot going to give a speech about the budget. Apparently we're a billion dollars in the hole. Going to have to raise all kinds of taxes. They always do this, folks. As soon as they get elected, that's when they discover that, uh-oh, huge budget crisis left over from the last mayor. <laughs> that terrible last mayor. Yeah, but in this case, she was absolutely right. It was a terrible last mayor. And I'm going to have to rectify it uh, because that gives them three years, D, to oh, jack up your taxes. You're saying terrible last mayor what did you think i thought you were saying terrible ass man (laughs) well that too good god (laughs) terrible ass mayor. i'm smart you're not anyway that mayor you remember that one remember the guy who figured everything out uh so she's gonna have to raise that but wait a minute i read this story before it's like Uh, next thing i know i half expected to turn the page and see that lori life was proposing to sell the parking meters oh wait that was that was the last last mayor, and then of course the last mayor reaffirmed that deal, folks. To get through this, I'm going to need more drugs. We got a great show today, everybody. Yes, indeed, Ramon Hussein will be here, uh, and uh, it's Ramana Friday. Ramana's got a lot of stuff to talk about, a lot of local news, a lot of cr- criminal justice news in the paper today to talk about with Ramana Hussein. It's the Ramana Rundown. What Call did it I say? Ramana Friday. Oh, that's my. <laughs> drugs man the drugs uh here we got to work with today guys good but Lord. i do like that you put the on air sign yeah pretty there. cool right yeah yeah you really man you're really making the room look look a lot by, by the way do we already miss leah or what oh man <laughs> i miss her yeah oh, already good when's miles coming back yeah dang these kids you know anyway uh and then the the political know-it-alls they know more about politics than anyone alive except for the other political know-it-alls we have the south side political know-it-alls we have the northwest side political know-it-alls we got the heartland mamas from out in the suburb know-it-alls a lot of political know-it-alls in this show d jacob kaplan danny pokoshowski will be in the studio talking local politics national politics state politics 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 all kind of political talk but before we do any of that the doctor with the news. How's it going, everybody? My name's Dennis. Never been a doctor in my life. Before we begin with what's happening locally this afternoon, heads up, we will be gone all next week. Mm-hmm. Ben's going on vacation with his family. I'll be back in the 618 with my family. That'll be interesting. We'll be back on <laughs> Tuesday, August 20th with a brand new Benny J show. Ben, you looking forward to the vacation or what? Absolutely. Oh, yeah? You gonna, what are you going to do? Nothing. Oh, yeah. I'm going to lie around and read a book. Fix and, that nose. Get it all worked up. Uh, get nose, it healed. <laughs> like, how about the Band-Aid? Huh? Yeah, you like yeah the Band-Aid? Ben's got a Band-Aid on his nose. <laughs> yeah, so the doctor said, uh, whatever, you got to wear a waterproof Band-Aid if you go swimming. So I'm going to have to wear the waterproof Band-Aid. All right, now on to uh, the news here. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. This little light of mine, <laughs> I'm going to let it shine. 
Mm. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot was at the Chicago Commons Naya Family Center on Monticello Avenue to encourage families to enroll their three and four year olds in Chicago early preschool program. Ben, what do you think about that? I think it's a good idea. Absolutely. And uh, get those kids in there to learning early at an early age. And, uh, you know, because there's such obviously this is an obvious point. Uh, Kids who come from families where the parents are really reading to them and encouraging them to read have a big advantage over kids who don't. So uh, we have to do as a community, have to do what we can uh, to get everybody as much as possible to the same part of the starting line. You never know what potential and talent kids have. You know what I'm saying? And if it's not developed and people aren't looking for it. Uh, So, um, yes, here, here, a good investment of public dollars. Now, we learned on Thursday that on August 29th, Mayor Lightfoot will be delivering a primetime major speech outlining what she's concluded about the city's financial status and the steps that she's considering to closing Chicago's budget gap. Ben Jarofsky, you're old. You've seen a lot of these budget announcements. Any ideas of what we're going to see or hear from Lightfoot? Yes, I'm going to tell you right now what you're going to see and what you're going to hear. I'd already kind of alluded to it, so I'll repeat it one more time. She's going to blame everything on Mayor Rahm, which, by the way... Feel free to do so, because Mayor Rahm blamed everything on Mayor Daley, and Mayor Daley blamed everything on, what was it, Eugene Sawyer, all right? And Eugene Sawyer didn't blame it on anybody because the mayor before him was Harold Washington, and Eugene Sawyer knew enough not to blame things on Harold Washington, but mayors blamed things on their predecessors. Uh, Rahm was in office for eight years, and he was still blaming Mayor Daley for everything that was wrong, but what he never pointed out, of course, is that he supported Mayor Daley every step of the way. In fact, he probably still would be supporting Mayor Daley. Mayor Daley didn't say, you know what, I'm out of here. I can't take another day of this job. And then, at which point, Rom got to Ron, cut the deal with Bill Daley and Obama, and they ushered him in, folks. That's how you get, that's democracy in the city of Chicago. And once he's in office, he started blaming Mayor Daley, although he didn't name Mayor Daley. Remember that? He was afraid to name Mayor Daley. talking about my predecessor. Like, who is that, Rom? Uh, I'm smart. You're stupid. Uh, don't ask any questions. So I'll be curious to see if Lori Lightfoot, when blaming her predecessor, actually names him. I mean, she doesn't have any love for Mayor Rahm, so maybe she will name him, but uh, generally, uh, if she follows the the Rahm playbook, she won't name her predecessor. She'll say that the budget deficit is far greater than anybody ever told you before, and she'll take credit for figuring it all out, saying that her team of forensic accountants and budget wizards have gone through every single little crease and crevice of the budget and discovered that it was worse than it was before. Okay? So she's going to, that's what she's going to tell you, folks. It's worse than it was before and it's all the previous mayor's fault so that's that's what she's concluded that is what she's concluded and that's what she's going to say you could take that to the bank ladies and gentlemen (laughs) all right and speaking of you being old and seeing a lot of these budget announcements before today's show comes to a close and with the help of our two o'clock guests the political know-it-alls jacob kaplan and dan pokoshelsky ben jarofsky is going to tell us in his humble opinion And in all of the city's history, Chicago's best budget plan idea and Chicago's worst budget plan idea. I have to come up with the best? Yeah. Oh, that's hard. Worst (laughs) is easy for you, huh? Yeah, well, well, no, they're different. It's the challenge is different in different ways. Okay, let me explain. All right. Uh, The worst, there's so much competition. So it's going to be hard to figure out like one that's worse than the other. Uh, the best is there's such little competition, so it's going to be hard to find anything that could 
vaguely fit that category. So it's an exhausting process. I'm going to have to take more medication. Where's that doctor when I need her, all right? <laughs> so that's going to be a tough challenge, D. All right, we went to uh, both Ben Jarofsky's show Facebook and Twitter pages and asked you the same question with the announcement from Lori Lightfoot coming August 29th on a budget plan. What do you think the best Chicago budget plan idea is and or the worst? Uh, we had our, uh, we've had some people weigh in. You go weigh in later on on uh, the program. We will. So uh, do you want us. me to offer anything right now? No. Or we just hold off? No, just hold off, hold it, off. This is what they call in radio holding off? Yeah, yeah. I guess that's what it's called. Yeah. Uh, at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show on Facebook and Twitter. Otis weighed in. He said, what do people expect her to do? She has to raise taxes so services aren't interrupted. It's a tough job. Yeah, it is a tough job. Absolutely. And it's particularly considering the mayor before us did a, such a terrible job at the job. So, yeah, I, uh, I, I listen, man. She wanted the job, Otis. She got the job, and it's some tough choices. But that's why they do it early in their uh, term, because they have three years uh, to get over the sting of the first budget hike. And then you watch, if she runs for re-election in three years, she'll say, I solved all the problems. That's always the best budget you know, when they're running for re-election. No need to raise taxes, because I solved all the problems. By the way, Rom raised taxes this go-around. Why? He wasn't running for re-election. Duh. <laughs> it's funny if Ron would be running for re-election, he would say, "I solved all the problems. No need to raise uh, taxes." Oh, that Ron was a slick one, folks. All right, now we're moving on here. We got to talk about our governor. I'm J.B. Pritzker, <laughs> and I'm not a perfect person. That's right, Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker. Today, <laughs> Governor Pritzker is once again at the Illinois State Fairgrounds, and once again, he's cutting ribbons. Okay. <laughs> It's with that butter thing? <laughs> the butter thing. <laughs> Wednesday, oh, it was man. the unveiling of the 2019 Illinois State Fair Butter Cow. It's the butter cow, <laughs> which has nine hearts to represent the nine essential nutrients in milk. That's right. It's made entirely out of butter. And, it, you know, it's a state fair tradition since at least 1922. Whoa! 19- <laughs> 1922. All right. That's probably the last time we'll play that clip. Oh, but damn, on, that's fun. Damn, that's fun. Well, if it ever comes up again, I'm not sure why the butter cow would ever come up again. Yeah. <laughs> Today, Pritzker is cutting the ribbons at the newly renovated Coliseum and the Conservation World exhibit. He will then channel his inner Lori Lightfoot and speak at the County Fair Day Luncheon. Oh, yeah. Lori Lightfoot loves love luncheons, it. guys. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I think JB loves a luncheon every now and then himself. All right. Thursday was the debut of Governor Pritzker's new gambling guru. Remember, we've been talking about this feller. But, uh, you know, please don't get it twisted, all right? I know gambling's fun and all, but this guy's all business, okay? Seriously, his name's Charles Schmadecki. Okay. He's the newly appointed Illinois Gaming Board Chairman, and he spoke at his first board meeting Thursday at the Michael A. Belandic Building. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times in one Mitchell Armantrout. Newly appointed Illinois Gaming Board Chairman Schmadecki pledged Thursday that regulators, quote, will not compromise on issues of integrity as the state is poised to go all in on its unprecedented gambling expansion. We have quotes here from Spadecki like this one. Quote, in ordinary times, our work would be challenging. But these, oh, these, 
are not ordinary <laughs> times, yeah. said Schmidecki. Very serious guy. Yeah. Last week, Governor J.B. Pritzker tapped Schmidecki to serve as the face of the agency, uh, currently tasked with licensing and overseeing Illinois' 10, count them, 10 existing casinos and nearly 32,000 video gambling terminals. We have some more stern and serious quotes to read from Schmidecki. Let's go ahead and do that. Quote, we are facing a large expansion of the gaming industry in the state including the Chicago Casino. And as we undertake our challenges, let us remember that the goal of this expansion was threefold. Assisting economic development, promoting Illinois tourism, and increasing state and local government revenues. Yes. All right. Well, he uh, I don't know if he did them in uh, ascending or descending order, but the reality is the last point is perhaps the most important point, and that's raising money for state and local government. Folks, that's what this is all about. They're constantly looking for ways to fund government because we are apparently incapable of coming up with a progressive tax uh, that would go be a little more fair, a little more equitable by making people who make more money pay a greater share uh, of the, the bills. And uh, in the state of Illinois, we have flat income taxes. You know, we talk about it all the time on this show. Uh, and for education, we're dependent on the, the property tax, which is a regressive form of taxation. I don't know if you can get any more regressive than uh, expanding gambling. Uh, generally, the people who do gamble probably can't afford to gamble. Uh, it hits everybody the same if they're wealthy or they're not wealthy. The whole thing is set up to make you lose, to guarantee that you're going to lose, uh, and so that the gambling casinos make money and that the state and the city uh, get their, uh, their, their cut, if you will. Uh, and this is a big-time expansion of gambling uh, in the same sometimes stories. Do you, do you, are you going to be reading this, the, the, the numbers here, or should I uh, go ahead? Go, go ahead. Among the substantial tasks facing the board are licensing six new casinos, including a 4,000 gaming position giant in Chicago, plus a new Racino in the south suburbs, which is a, what, a racing, what, I forgot, Racino is casino and racetrack, uh, and nearly doubling the positions at most other casinos to 2,000, adding even more video gaming machines. So to the, uh, adding ga- more video gaming machines to the mix. Folks, they're really trying to finance government by sticking it to the people who are addicted to gambling. I got mixed feelings about this. Uh, you know, the libertarian in me says, what the heck? People want to gamble, let them gamble. But on the other hand, I can't think of a worse way. Well, there's probably worse ways, but this is one of the worst ways uh, to raise the money to pay the bills. It was so funny. I, I urge everybody uh, to check out the interview we did the other day with Willie Wilson. Willie Wilson was in the studio, former mayor Willie Wilson. And now a Willie former Wilson. Former candidate. What did I say? Former mayor. Oh, my God. I'm like Joe Biden. I'm tripping everyone. <laughs> my defense is I'm, you know, under under medication. Uh, but, uh, yes, former mayoral candidate Willie Wilson. He was not elected mayor. Uh, thank you for that, D. Uh, anyway, so he was in the studio, and his latest crusade is reparations. He believes that there should be reparations uh, to uh, African-Americans, descendants of slaves. And uh, he's also uh, basically a Republican. And I had Monroe Anderson in the studio with me, and we were both grilling him. Willie. How are you going to pay for reparations? You're going to take back that tax cut uh, that Trump imposed? No, no, we're not going to do it. How are you going to raise the money to pay for reparations? How are you going to raise the money to pay for anything? 
Well, the state of Illinois has decided that they're going to expand gambling, and they've dumped things on Charles Schmadecki. He's the guy who's got to figure out how uh, to do this with uh, doing it as legally as possible, as cleanly as possible, as ethically as possible. It's the state of Illinois, folks. It'll be an interesting experiment. Schmadecki, who previously served as a top legal aide to four Illinois attorneys general and a controller before going into private practice, said keeping public trust, quote, is in the credibility integrity of gambling operations operations was paramount. He also says maintaining that confidence must undergrid everything we do. Achieving and preserving the integrity of the gaming industry in Illinois will be at the heart of my tenure on this board. Mm. All, no, no games. All serious. Very serious guys. All business. And finally, a follow-up on Thursday's top story locally. Only a day after President Donald Trump told reporters that he, quote, very strongly <laughs> lean toward giving former Illinois Governor Blagojevich a break from serving the rest of his 14-year sentence for corruption. Trump on Thursday night prolonged the drama of whether he will commute the sentence of imprisoned former Governor Rob Blagojevich, saying in a tweet that White House staff is still reviewing whether to free him. So, Ben, we've went from strongly leaning to still reviewing. Yeah, I have no idea what he's up to. Uh, the general consensus, well, there's two two ways of looking at it. One, he's either a lunatic uh, and just says whatever comes to his mind and then just forgets it the next day. Or the, then there's, who is it the one that, that, that like uh, presents Trump as the great chess master who's always a step ahead of us? One of our guests always says, he's playing chess, Ben, and the rest of us. Who was that guest that said that, D, that has the great love for Trump? Do you remember mm. who it is? Mm-hmm. Not that he loves him but he thinks he's so smart anyway so it's like for some reason you know he did this so he could divert attention from i don't know pick your choice of things that he would want attention diverted from who knows what he's uh really up to but i i urge everyone uh, i've made myself uh, pretty clear on this subject i do believe that rob blagojevich uh, should be released from prison i believe that uh he's been in what seven years that's long enough for the crimes that he did if you want to read a different point of view on this. I urge everyone to check out Mark Brown. Mark Brown, of course, is a columnist for the Chicago Sun-Times, my beloved bright one. Uh, he writes a column called Political Matters. Today's bright one on page five, if you still have a newspaper or if you're just going to, you know, do it the, the millennial way, read it on your phone. But Mark Brown offers a different point of view on this uh, about uh, Rod Blagojevich. It definitely is upset with Trump for some of the comments Trump made about the prosecutors. It's absolutely clear that the only reason Trump cares about Rod Blagojevich is that he's using Rod Blagojevich as sort of like a larger tool in his battle with prosecutors and basically saying he was a victim, Rod Blagojevich, I'm a victim. So the more I think about it, D, it's better off for Trump to keep Blagojevich in prison so he can keep saying, yeah, he's a victim, just like he made poor Blagojevich is like thinking, ah, oh, he's going to let me out of prison. Trump's like, ah. Uh-uh. I need you in prison. So then I, every now and then I could say, he's still in prison. I'm thinking about commuting him. So, <laughs> you think it's, of me. It's picture with his bags all packed. All right, right. Wait, what? Oh, uh, damn it. Yeah, packs his old bags Donald again. Trump. Yeah. But he's smart. Rod, he's smart like a fox. He's three steps ahead of us all. Now, we quoted a few of our top political leaders in Illinois on their thoughts of the Blago News, and it seems like all of them are against the idea of releasing Rob Blagojevich early. We read Pritzker's thoughts on Thursday. Yeah, he basically said that uh, Trump has bigger things to worry about. But now we have Mayor Lori Lightfoot's comments on an early Blago prison release. Mayor Lightfoot said Blagojevich, quote, disgraced his office and urged the president to not act on a whim. 
Lightfoot 2 called Trump's repeated mention of uh, commutation for Blagojevich, quote, dangling the carrot in front of the Blagojevich family, which frankly is pretty cruel given how both the wife and daughters have been devastated by the incarceration of the former governor. Lightfoot goes on and says, quote, the governor disgraced his office. He's one of the few governors in the history of the country that's been impeached, and he didn't take seriously the incredible magnitude of power in which he held. She goes on to say, and I'm not sure that I've ever heard any contrition on his part. I would like for the president not to be ruling on these very important decisions on a whim. Basically, somebody knows something he thinks wasn't fair because that really does undermine the rule of law. There's a very specific process for which these decisions have historically been made, and he needs to follow that process. All right. Let me just break that down a little bit. Number one, let's not forget that Lori Lightfoot was a federal prosecutor, so uh, she's always going to have some sympathy from the prosecutors who threw Bogoyevich in prison. Let's face it. That's sort of her view of the world uh, in terms of dangling the carrot. It's an interesting thing where she she talks about how cruel it is what Trump is doing to Bogoyevich family. Uh, well, I think it's pretty cruel to the Bogoyevich family that Rob Bogoyevich is in prison for 14 years for a crime that I don't know. Most politicians get what one, two, three years. Uh, so I think that's pretty cruel to them. I do agree with her. I just got finished saying this. I do think that uh, Donald Trump is using Bogoyevich and using the Bogoyevich family for his own ends, for his own means, and uh, so he's probably content to have. Goyevich stay in prison for the remainder of his tenure in office, Donald Trump's tenure in office, so that every now and then he could talk about letting him out. So that is pretty sleazy of Donald Trump. I agree with Lori Lightfoot there. Uh, but the the real the real issue here, in my humble opinion, was was that punishment warranted for the crime? 14 years. I don't there's things that Rod Blagojevich has some uh, talents. And, um, you know, he's a lawyer. Uh, he's, he's a pretty knowledgeable guy. Again, I always feel compelled to say this. I had a lot of issues with Rob Bogoyevich, and we were not by any means close. Uh, I still don't think he's ever returned a phone call of mine. His, he comes from the Mel family, and I've been feuding with the Mel family for many years, uh, if my, going back to the 80s as a columnist for the reader. But uh, I do think 14 years is too much for the crimes that uh, he committed. He's already served seven years. So I don't know what, how, I don't know it, 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 how much uh, contrition is involved here. I don't know much how much research is involved here. If you, if you start with the, the conclusion that I've reached that 14 years is too much, then you know what do you need contrition for you have to uh, you could let him out right now so donald trump has uh, gone from strongly leaning to still reviewing the release of the early release of former governor rob Lagojevich. we'll keep you posted as soon as donald trump says ah never mind i'm not doing that <laughs> i got a feeling d i just figured that donald trump's like yeah i keep him right there every now and then i'll talk about letting him go and you know when it, trump always like just include I, I really do urge everybody to read mark brown's column because it's uh, uh it, what mark brown does is he he, he uh, zeroes in on the game that trump is using where trump is trying to uh liken himself uh, liken Goyevich to himself as as victims of prosecutors uh, who have just lost all restraint and lost all control and are breaking the rules. And he throws James Comey into the mix, former head of the FBI. James Comey had nothing to do with the Blagojevich prosecution, uh, Mark Brown points out. And he calls uh, 
Donald Trump calls the, the prosecutor sleazebag. Mark Brown comes to the defense. So a different perspective from Mark Brown on uh, Donald Trump and Blagojevich. I urge everybody to read his column. All right, we have some budget plan ideas to read on both Facebook and our Twitter pages. Let's go ahead and read them here. The question posted on both Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook and Twitter pages at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. In all the Chicago history that you can remember, what was the best and or worst budget deal plan? We first go to our Facebook page. Darlene is weighed in. Mm -hmm. Darlene says, when the city started the lottery years back, stating that a percentage would go to the educational system and look at it still, no one ever said if monies ever went to the educational system. Yeah, I I would substitute the word state for city, and she has a very good point. All right, on to Tara. Tara weighed in. Tara said, start with that pot of TIF monies. Set up a separate fund from the proceeds of legalized marijuana to pay pensions and education costs. Don't allow it to morph into what happened to the lottery and education. She's, uh, you know, saying her thoughts for uh, uh, August 29th. Uh, she's pretty good, that Tara. She knows her stuff. All right. On to the Twitter page. At Benny J Show is where you can find us. Dennis weighs in. Oh, I'm sorry. Dennis R zero four zero one zero seven two four. Oh, okay. On Twitter. Well, that Dennis is opposed to the other one. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just Dennis. All right. So uh, Dennis weighs in and says the worst would have to involve daily selling assets to pay for wrought iron fences and enrich friends and distant relatives. I, uh, man, this dude, he knows his stuff. I. I, I'm not allowed to give what was on my list because you've uh, sworn me to silence. It's coming up later coming on. Coming up, but it's very close to what uh, the other Dr. D, the other Dennis, had to say. Oh, the other Dennis. <laughs> yeah, he's a smart guy. Seems way smarter than me. And finally, Hamilton on uh, Twitter says, Ben, get relevant, huh? <laughs> Customer is always right, huh? Hey, customer is always right, D. You know what, Hamilton? I'm going to get relevant. I'm going to go listen to this, <laughs> I don't know, like a... a a rap song. How about that? <laughs> I'm going to get relevant. There you go. Uh, Keep the- I'm going to get on Twitter. That's what I'm going to do, Hamilton. There you go. Get oh, relevant, get would you? Good okay. Lord. Listen to Hamilton. My God. I've been trying to tell him that for years, uh, Hamilton. Hamilton, it's... It's hard. It's a hard one. Get relevant. Okay. Keep your comments coming <laughs> at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. By the way, his last name, J-O-R-A, V is in victory, S-K-Y. The question, once again, in all the Chicago history that you can remember, what was the best and or worst budget deal plan? Comment below, and uh, we'll be reading your comments on today's show. And hey, Ben, can you feel, uh, do you notice something's in the air? Something? You feel it? Oh, yeah. Does it feel like football? Yeah. It's almost football season, which means that the best sports reporters in Chicago from the Chicago Sun-Times want to offer you, our listeners, an exclusive deal on unlimited digital access to all of the stories you love. Don't miss a game this season. Get all the big plays, scores, and stories from the Chicago Sun-Times. For a limited time only, you can lock in our lowest rate yet, only $29.99 for a full year of all the news and sports that you need to know. Stay up to date on breaking stories, get the deep dives and investigations from Sun-Times reporters, and go deep inside City Hall with best-in-class political uh, reporting. And, of course, cheer for the big games with the best sports team in the city because football season's coming. $29.99 for a full year of unlimited access. You cannot do better than that. Take advantage of this exclusive deal now at suntimes.com forward slash Ben. We got Romano Hussein in studio. And coming up after this short little break, people, we are going to do this week's Romano Rundown. Don't go anywhere. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Chicago reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. 
arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Today's Ben Jarofsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Discover the breadth and majesty of Chicago's architecture on a Chicago Architecture Center bus tour. From bungalows to Bauhaus, our expert docents will share the fascinating stories behind our city's architecture. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a bus tour right now. Oh, my. Look at that wonderful piece of architecture. Get a special discount for Illinois residents from July 15th to August 15th. All Illinois residents get 50% off select walking tours. Visit architecture.org slash IL dash resident. What are the stakes at this stage of the campaign? We're still 16 months away from the election. We're still six months away from the first primary. What do you think of having debates this early? Is it a good idea? Yeah, I think, first of all, like, take a, take a look at Joe Biden. I think the debates are going to make him a better candidate. And if not, he's not going to be the nominee. But I do think the now, debates Now, why do you will... think that? Because, because he's got a callus? Because he's getting slapped around out there. But the, 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 he has got... Well, he here's is, a, here's he a way like, like, they slather him with blood, and they throw him into a pit of piranhas out there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying that he can't hold his Listen, own. What I'm saying is that they are, they are going for him hard. Here's the thing you got to know. Yeah, they are. But that's good for Joe, because he has to prove he can take it, because it's not like Trump's going to go easy on you. Mm-hmm. And the second is, if you can't handle the campaign, trust me, it's not like it gets easier in the Oval Office. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, so how you campaign is how you govern? Now, if you can't handle the campaign, there's the best preparation because that in the Oval Office, it is all incoming 24-7. I mean, I, Kennedy had this great quote, when you're president, you have to choose between bad and worse. You've got to be able to take it constantly. It's coming at you at every uh, way. You got to have really an excellent chief of staff. Really good chief of staff. That's number one, okay? Uh... Hey, welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Benny J, take it away. Yes, indeed. Every Friday, Romano Hussein, editor from the Chicago Sun Times, comes into our little studio for the Romano Rundown, right, D? Absolutely. And uh, there's a lot of ground to cover, Romana, and uh, so we should dive right in. But before we dive right in, I want to say, uh, we've said this before in the show, Romana is uh, married to a good friend of mine, Mick Dumkey, my partner in crime at First Tuesday, and we're going to do a show where we're going to have Romana and Mick. I finally got Mick to agree to do this. Busy guy, Mick Dumkey, okay? Uh, he made the commitment, so we're going to have... Uh, he's really not that busy. He, well, he acts busy a lot, okay? <laughs> I'm busy, Ben. Uh, but he's been nice enough to say he's going to show up. So it's going to be fun. I was going to see when you put Ramana and Mick down uh, next to each other. We'll see how much they agree on. We don't agree on a lot of things. Well, We're pretty, very different, actually. So. Uh, but they're married. What is that? Opposites attract. So anyway, that'll be Correct. Uh, thank you. August 23rd. I'm really looking forward that part of the uh, our the reader telethon, but we'll be talking about that show in a little while. All right, Romano, let's start at the top. I was talking about this yesterday. Uh, I was obsessed with the story. Uh, still mini obsession, although it seems to have faded from the newspapers, unfortunately, in my humble opinion, because it really was an interesting story. The White Sox wives <laughs> had a debate on Twitter. Talk about it. On racism. I was yes. going to say, as a Cubs fan, I just focus on racism-related issues to the Ricketts. 
and, and, and cu- anything Cubs related. But um, I actually didn't know. I, I saw a story online the day before we had this story about the wives of the Sox and former White Sox player in the Sun-Times. I was sitting in the newsroom and we were talking about it. And I'm like, what exactly happened? I go, no, there was some sort of back and forth. And it, uh, you know, our Chris Fusco, our editor in chief, is a Sox fan. He's like, it's you know the conversation that was happening, the back and forth that was happening, is basically reflecting the, the viewpoints we have in this country right now, or you know arguments people have. And and so I went back and read the story. I'm like, I guess I should read the story. So I did. It, and basically, what it was was Bria Anderson, who is the wife of Tim Anderson, who plays for the White Sox. I think he's a is he a shortstop? Very good. Your knowledge of baseball is astounding. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, yeah. And she basically does, she has a um, anti violence. She does a lot of anti violence group. She has a um, a group that I think is based in Chicago and another state, and I'm forgetting which one. But she talked about you know with the shootings in El Paso and Dayton. She mentioned how, you know, she talked about gun violence and white supremacy and, you know, how that this is a growing problem. And then after that, um, the wife of a former White Sox player, her name is Elizabeth Swarzak. She said, well, what about black people killing each other in Chicago? And, you know, that got it, that started, not got it, started a back and forth between the two women. And now this third woman who is also married to a White Sox player, her name is Ariana Dubelco Giolato. Giolato. Yeah. yeah, her husband's a really good pitcher. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, she's a Cubs fan. <laughs> Lucas is one of the best pitchers in the American League, but go ahead. So, um, so I should say Bria Anderson is African-American. Elizabeth Swarzak, from what the pictures I've seen, is white. Mm-hmm. And Ariana um Dubalco Giolato, is that how you pronounce her name? Giolato yeah. mm-hmm. um, is also white. And so she, Ariana Giolato, is the one who screenshot those conversations and made it public yeah. for everyone to mm-hmm. see. And, uh, you know, the conversation, like I said, that, you know, was going on between Bria Anderson and Elizabeth Swarzak is kind of commentary that people see often especially people of color when a lot of african americans bring up white supremacy and the violence people go well what about black people killing each other and these are basically apples and oranges and and then uh the the wife of the former white Sox player swarzak she started talking about like she was getting offended and she mentioned that um you know this is racist, racist against white people. And then she kind of, she kind of went after Bria Anderson and in the work she did, she goes, Oh, I guess it's great that you give these kids 10 minutes of joy in her life. And then they go back into this horror pit that is Chicago. And then, um, the, I think the, and then we talked to the Giolato and she said that, you know, I think she might've commented during the back and forth and she mentioned, you know, cause I think, I think, um, Swarzak, also went after started talking about crimes committed by immigrants Mm -hmm. and that kind of opened another can of worms and uh giolato said well half of the players in the major league baseball are immigrants and she i think she talked to uh our reporter nader isa and uh she had said that she was disappointed and disgusted by swarzak yeah yeah. ariana giolato just that, I hope I'm pronouncing all these names right. Just I, say Ariana. Yeah, Ariana. Just the first Ariana. Names. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the sad thing is, like, you know, 
this story has been touted as the wives of the White Sox. I mean, these obviously are women who are independent of their own and have their you know own way of thinking things. And it just happened to be wives. The, of the White, White Sox, Sox wives was the headline. White I know, Sox I know, wives and I guess at it. <laughs> I, know. I know that's why I was just like, what is this story? It's so weird, but it it, it was interesting. And you know, a lot of people were commenting on how these conversations are very commonplace in social media. I mean, I've seen commentary like that. Like if someone that I know comments or somebody that I grew up with that's Muslim will say something about, you know, the shootings and then they might have a friend who thinks differently, who's not from this community. And they'll talk about, well, I don't see you condemning crimes when they happen in Egypt, you know? So that's very common. I think for a lot of African-American people in the community whenever they do mention white supremacy or the shootings you know the mass shootings people do always bring up and that's a very common thing well, what I, about black and black I, crime I, I i've taken one step further whenever uh, a black person a prominent prominent black person dares to criticize donald trump on any issue so it could be a congressman, yeah. a congresswoman, criticizing him on his policies of taxation his policies foreign policy any issue Donald Trump's hits him hard with, comes back with, you come from this hellish community. Yeah. Why don't you concentrate on fixing your community? And that has become a common refrain. And, you know, Romana, I think about where we are as a society right now. Uh, where It's always a little tense. I'm not saying it didn't start with Donald Trump. No. But it's... It's really difficult to have anything approaching like a rational, humane discussion about all the many problems we have uh, when you can't even start with acknowledging some of the basics like the history of race relations in our yeah. country, slavery, Jim Crow, etc. When it becomes, well, why don't you just worry about cleaning up crime in your neighborhood? Don't look at us. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a very it, I just think it's a very uh, knee jerk kind of reaction to people who aren't from that community. Whenever there's a person of color, especially African-Americans, always like, well, what about black people killing black people? That's mm -hmm. very common. I'm saying for me as someone who's, you know, part of the Muslim community, if we say something or if someone brings up, you know, a crime that was committed by a mass murder, they're like, what about this? And then, you know, they'll start writing all these different terrorist attacks that were committed by people who call themselves Muslims. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's interesting. Like that always is like, well, what about this? What about that? As if everybody's responsible for that one person, like, you know, and I'm just saying that, you know, the woman, uh, Bria Anderson, she was just talking about white supremacy and gun violence. Like one doesn't have to do with the other. And she, and it's not like she's not, you know, she does anti-violence work. Yeah. It's not like she's not aware of the, you know, any sort of problems that are in, you know, these communities that Swarzak is talking about. She works on this, yeah. on this problem. And, and it's just, it's just interesting, you know, how one thing becomes something else. So people get so sensitive when, and you know, white supremacy is a problem. I mean, I, there was just an AP story that just said, you know, the suspect in the El Paso shooting admitted he was looking for Mexican people to shoot. And for someone to acknowledge that white supremacy isn't a problem, I think most of the terrorist attacks in this country, I mean, people think terrorists and they think people that look like me, but most terrorist attacks in the country are carried out 
by people who are white. Yeah. I mean, it's a problem. You know, I'm just saying you, you can't pretend that it's not happening. You know, I. Well, or, I, think I uh, I'll, as soon as I heard the El Paso shooting yeah. in Walmart, I knew what it was. I, I, I didn't even even before I read the story before. I know it's wrong yeah, for me to make it, yeah. two conclusions. Yeah. But I, 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 I was telling my husband, I said, that guy was looking for Mexicans. I, I, yeah, I told Mick, I'm like, you know, a lot of people who are immigrants or people of color go to Walmart and Mick's like, so Trump supporters. And I'm like, yeah, but this was in El Paso. I know exactly what the guy was. And it turns out that that's what the alleged motive was. Yeah, by the way, this so. is a little, just a little flavor folks of what you're going to get when <laughs> Ramada and Mick show up at the show. Mick Dumpke, uh, had, just so you know something about, I've known Mick for many, many years. And uh, he's got that journalistic instinct. If you tell him something, he will immediately take the, well, actually it's, he comes from a family of lawyers. So I think he learned this. Just one bread. lawyer. His oh. dad's a lawyer. I thought it's like a brother or something. No. Lawyer. Okay, no. sorry, Mick. But anyway, <laughs> it's that instinct to, to to play the devil's advocate I, to go the other. Uh, I argue a lot, but I just don't agree with him. On, it's like on a lot of things. We agree, we have definitely like believe in the same things, but there's we disagree. Well, with here's here's else. one point that I think Mick would agree with us on on this one, and uh, that is this: there was a um, a, a counter protester in El Paso. Uh, who I, I can't remember his name, but he identified himself as a Marine. And his a argument was that this was just a lone gunman who had a mental illness, who was acting on his own, and you cannot in any way uh, link it to rhetoric of Donald Trump, even if the rhetoric of the gunman is very similar, similar. to the rhetoric of Donald Trump. And I'm like, well, that's a very benevolent attitude that you're, you're expressing. Were you expressing that same benevolence about Muslims at Probably not. not. Yeah. I mean, every, you know, I think only up until recently, every single white suspect or gunman was always considered troubled. And there was always this need to humanize these individuals who commit these acts. And everyone has a mental illness. I mean, nobody who commits these acts is a normal person. Yeah. That's the first thing. But uh, other people who commit these acts of violence are never given the same benefit of the doubt. What if they're mentally ill? Well, there was, I, there's, I mean, they probably are. No, I mean, they anybody, are, but that's what I'm saying, but they're yeah. not, they're always said like, well, they're, you know, that the, the shooter of the Orlando nightclub, I think it was a shooter or no, it was another, it was, it was another one where there was a husband and wife team and they, they had, uh, oh, yeah. I forgot, but that was in California. I, I, just so. to give you an example, the reporters went into the home. This is like the reporters. I blame the media for this one, but then they, <laughs> they pulled, pulled out a prayer rug and they're like, well, this is the sign of, you know, that he was, be, you know, becoming this terrorist. And most Muslims have a prayer rug in their homes. I do. You know, it's nothing suspicious. And then they said, you know, then they started digging into his past and said that, oh, he went to Saudi Arabia to perform the Hajj, which is very commonplace. It's a pillar of Islam. So, like, people just make those connections like, oh, he became radicalized. I mean, maybe he had a mental illness and was using this. So I'm just it's I think now people are kind of pushing away from that. Like people not saying that the people don't have mental illnesses, there's definitely something wrong with them. But every time it's like a white male shooter, it's like, oh, he was, he had a mental illness. Well, I'm saying these, so, these issues are really hard to navigate of course, anyway. It's but not when you have a Donald black and white Trump, issue. When you have a president of the United States who's just openly yeah. ripping apart wounds and, uh, he wants to build a wall. He's saying yeah. that 
these are he said they're bringing drugs into the country and you know every single mexican is bringing drugs into the country they're all rapists so when you're saying stuff like that how can you say that you're not enabling people who are committing this sort of crime the i think the shooter in dayton ohio had some sort you know maybe in high school i don't know if it was in high school when he was younger he had a a, a murder list mm-hmm. and i think it was a murder list and also um, a, a list of people he wanted to rape. And then, you know, the garlic festival in California, mm-hmm. they said the gunman had some sort of manifesto uh, and then he wanted, he was targeting, trying to target certain religious groups. Mm-hmm. So you can't ignore these things happening so close in proximity and seeing who the, you know, the, our, our nation's leader is yeah and uh and then so i agree with you yeah the, and then when the nation's leader goes to the city to heal it would, it's it's almost like a really dark comedy yeah you and know? nobody in el paso the I, I i was looked up and i saw the cnn screen last night and the headline said that none of the injured victims wanted to meet with donald trump so and then i think a hospital staff member said that he showed no empathy as well when he was walking around and because nobody wanted to visit him, I think they eventually just took a baby to, to, to see, to, to see him. Cause nobody wanted to see him. Wait, I missed I the think. story. So was it a baby that was I don't know if it was a baby Walmart that was injured. Some... It was just a headline that said that hospital okay. staffer All says right. Donald Trump showed no empathy. Nobody wanted, none of yeah. the injured wanted to visit him. I got you. Which okay. makes sense. I mean, most, a lot of the victims were probably people of color and or Mexican. Yeah. And, uh, no, and it, and it, it like I said, Donald Trump has never shown empathy ever. I mean, go back to when he went to Puerto Rico. Uh, I don't know if you remember that to quote unquote comfort people in Puerto Rico. And he was mocking uh, the the leadership of Puerto Rico. There's a lot of, to be critical about the, the former governor of Puerto Rico. Yeah. He started throwing the towels at people. Uh, so Donald, this is not Donald Trump's strong suit, to put it mildly. No. Uh, all right. Now, let's, as long as we're talking Trump, let's go to a transition uh, to Blago. Blagojevich? Yeah, Blagojevich, one of my favorite topics of the day. And I'm going to be discussing this with my next guests as well. Uh, and uh, the political know-it-alls. Uh, what What's your general sense? I- I thought it, I thought this was a reaction to Lori Lightfoot going after Ivanka. <laughs> That's what I thought. I was like, you know, he he seems to re- when he doesn't like someone or something, and somebody says something critical to him, he's like, well, I'm going to do this because you know. So he, I, I thought it was kind of like after Lori Lightfoot went after Ivanka for tweeting about um, equating these crimes and then talking about the gun violence mm-hmm. that happened in Chicago and. Lori Lightfoot said, well, she doesn't have her facts straight. And then, I don't know, it turns out Lori Lightfoot didn't have her facts straight either. But that's another story. Facts are tough. But I thought, I don't know, as soon as I'm like, oh, you know, he, like, you know, it's kind of like that Rocky ASAP guy. Yeah. He wants to free him because Kanye is always like kissing his ass. Yeah. Oh, can I say that? Yeah, Sorry. You, not only c- can you say it, you just said it. Go <laughs> ahead. Man, everybody <laughs> comes in this studio. Man. We had the sports writers, uh, Madeline Kenny in here yesterday. Man, they were just swearing like what? sailors. Oh, yeah, they were good. They were funny. Go ahead. So I, I just think that if someone's praising him, you know, Kim Kardashian is the wife of Kanye West and she wa- she had um our you know there was this woman that she was wanted out of jail and mm-hmm. you know he got her out of prison and so i just thought like Lori Lightfoot's going after Trump and he definitely doesn't like Chicago so as soon as she made you know comments about his daughter getting the facts wrong then all of a sudden the next day he's like i think i'm thinking about um commuting 
Blagojevich's sentence. I thought that was really interesting. It's funny because one of my um, colleagues at work yesterday is like, oh, I got to remember how to spell Blagojevich again. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, I never, I actually (laughs) never forgot because, you know, one of my first assignments as a 24 year old at City News, I had to go cover a news conference and Blagojevich was there. Uh Uh-huh. I did not know how to pronounce his name. He was a state rep at the time, I believe. Uh-huh. And I went to the news conference and it was really funny because it was on the northwest side of Chicago and one of my family friends was there. It was just some, I forgot what kind of news conference it was and I had to call up my editor afterward and let her know what happened, who was there. And I was like, Rod, blah, 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 that blah. And I kept saying, and then she's like, you mean Blagojevich? And this person's a friend of mine, but I was like, yeah, how do you say his name? And I, I did not know how to say his name. All so, right, here we go. Since you said that for 10 trivia points, spell Blagojevich. It's B-L-A-G-O-J-E-V-I-C-H. Bingo. That's 10 trivia points right there. <laughs> I that, told you, I, 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 there's certain things that scared me. me in journalism and me not knowing how to say his name freaked me out. Yeah. And no, so that E, it's something about that E that comes after the J that always, I got a lot of dyslexic issues that I deal with my whole life. And it's, I went into writing. That was, I wanted to wonder about oh. that. But I always want to put an E, like uh, the E, I want to reverse the E and the J. So it, I've so many reader editors over the years have like oh. had to reverse it back. I bet if I edited you, I would be able to tell you. Because I I'm not going to mention names, but there are some people where I'm like, Oh, this person definitely has dyslexia. I don't oh, want to be dyslexia. mean. Yeah. So oh, I, mean, I can I, tell. Yeah. I have, I have some issues that let's Which is just fine. Yeah. But you know, a lot of people have, we were talking about Bogoyevich. A lot of people do think the 14 years, I think was the excessive. I think I a lot think of it. I think a lot of people in um, the press would probably agree with yeah, you. No, or the, you know, people have written about it, and so I think I think with this as politics, you know, we have Pritzker coming out and saying getting mad at Trump for this. But I think I think deep down, a lot of people do think that the fourteen years probably was excessive. Yeah, I, I think it's excessive, and uh, and and I'm starting to wonder about Donald Trump. Well, that that's putting it mildly, but. When, when Donald Trump comes, I'm going to agree with Lori Lightfoot. When Donald Trump uh, every now and then makes alludes to the fact that he may commute the sentence and then drops it, that is cruel. Dude, yeah. either you're going to do it or you're not going to do it. Yeah. And so he, I think the latest was that they were still mulling it over. But he did mention Patty Bogoyevich, who has definitely been on this crusade, you know, fighting, you know, trying to get the presidential clement, the clemency yeah. um, after the US, uh, the state Supreme Court, I think not, or the U.S. Supreme Court knocked US it Supreme down Court in 2018. Yeah. So ever since then, she's kind of been asking Donald Trump and I think his daughter has written about it too. So. All right. Now, uh, speaking of old stories that never go away, uh, would not be a Romana rundown without a Smollett gate <laughs> update. And this, the chutzpah involved with, with Smollett gate, uh, Smollett's lawyers, these lawyers are unreal. Uh, the latest is the city of Chicago. You may remember there's so many, uh, uh, ripples, so many lawsuits, so many, lawsuits. So many legal mayor tangles. Rahm, mayor Rahm looking for a cheap and easy headline, uh, had as he was uh, leaving, uh, embraced this issue was really mad at Smollett and had the city file a suit to force Smollett to pay. I think it's I'll do this, over 130,000 130, for the investigation. Smollett countered his lawyers countered asking the judge to throw the case out. <laughs> Talk and that's, about that. that's actually very common for someone to file 
a motion to drop the lawsuit in a civil suit. So that's not unusual. But because it's a Smollett, we every time there's something Smollett related, we have to write something or we write something. Um, so the Jesse Smollett's lawyers called it a perverse tactic and they said it's unprecedented. They did make an interesting point. So I remember actually I was at 26 and Cal when this happened, there was this doctor who was from out of state said he was attacked on the river walk, I believe it was somewhere downtown. And it turns out he lied about that case. And then he had to pay the city of Chicago money that was part of the investigation and finding out who did this when it turned out he did it. So um, Jesse Smollett's lawyer in this motion were saying that Jesse Smollett never, the actor never admitted that he committed these crimes. So they're saying that it's not the same thing. So for the city of Chicago to put this in their lawsuit and mention this case, they say it doesn't doesn't it really it's it's apples and oranges. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty interesting. I mean, them filing the motion isn't really that. It's not really different. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of people do this. A lot of a lot of um, a lot of steps that are that are being taken. All the different legal chapters of this case are, are very normal. It's just that because this case has a spotlight on it, every time there's like some sort of movement in the case, we're, we're definitely taking a look at it. Yeah, and uh, I, I found it an interesting thing uh, that they filed this uh, the appeal. I understand you're absolutely correct. Uh, it's, it, it's just because once the city of Chicago makes an accusation doesn't mean the accusation is true and everybody has their opportunity yeah. to find a rebuttal. I, I, I get that. I understand that. But the notion that he's somehow innocent uh, because he never. Yeah, but that's <laughs> what they're saying because he never. Well, that's one of the that's, that's the, one of the um, things a lot of people are pointing out to saying that how come he was allowed. You know, he still paid the city of Chicago the bail money back. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people who disagreed with the way Kim Fox handled the case, they said this was very unusual. Lawyers are saying this is very unusual for him to be able to do this without admitting guilt. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a related story, uh, even if it's indirectly related. You mentioned Kim Fox. Uh, in my humble opinion, I've said this many times on the show, uh, Kim Fox has done a really bad job with the Smollett case, to put it mildly. I don't think she should ever have taken that phone call from Tina Chen. And having taken the phone call from Tina Chen, she most definitely should never, ever, ever have called police superintendent, police chief Eddie Johnson. Uh, so she crossed the line, and as a result, we are where we are. That said... Uh, her opponents are using this opportunity to go after something far greater, and that is to destroy the whole uh, movement for alternative sentencing, which is ironic since supposedly Donald Trump believes in alternative sentencing. It's so funny how the Republicans could speak out like three sides of their mouth, not just two sides of their mouth. And so in the today's uh, bright one, in today's Sun-Times, there was an article about the ongoing litigation from the John Burge mm-hmm. torture trials in which one uh, person who was uh, forced to confess, put in prison, and has been let out subsequently, has said that it's okay with him if uh, Kim Fox, the state's yeah. attorney's office, proceed. So it's a notion that on one front, Kim Fox has done a good job Let's give her credit where credit is due of course. Uh, on a, the whole issue of alternative sentencing and a more compassionate view to people who are victims of police torture. And it's being used. The Smollett gate thing is being used to undercut that effort. Yeah, of course. And and this was this case. Um, I don't know if you there was last month, the chief criminal courts judge, Leroy K. Martin mm-hmm. Jr. He basically said that he's going to go back and see whether these Burge cases 
still need to be with the special prosecutor. And each, I think he's going to treat each case individuals individually. So yesterday was the first case he gave back to Kim Fox. And that um, case involved uh, a man named James Gibson. He was charged in a 1990s double murder, which he said he didn't commit and said he was forced to confess to by um, being tortured by John Burgess underlings un- underlings and um, anyway he seek so he was granted a new trial and like you said he's out on bond but he his attorneys are seeking a certificate of innocence so I think the the matter is going back to the state's attorney's office and what Leroy Martin was saying is that this case in 2000 the Burge cases in 2002 were all given to a special prosecutor and they've been given to like it's been switched. The special prosecutors have been switched since. And when Dick Devine was in office, yes. mm-hmm. the thing was that he represented John Burge. Let me just read private. this. Yeah. This is amazing. And this, folks, if you want to understand really what's at the root of all these struggles and this fight that uh, and why Kim Fox has been so vilified. I'm just going to read this sentence from today's, and the great Andy Graham wrote this, special prosecutors have been assigned to Burge-related cases since 2002 after a judge ruled that then state's attorney Richard Devine had a conflict of interest because he represented Burge when he was working in a private law firm. State's attorney Richard Devine represented Burge. He represented mm-hmm. the, the policeman who was accused of torturing suspects. This is pause for a moment just think about that one okay and that but he was the state's attorney yeah but then that's when the cases went to a special prosecutor and the current special prosecutor that was handling the james gibson case is bob mylan and he worked under dick devine so his attorneys were arguing that there's a conflict there and leroy i think I think the judge, I forgot from what he said specifically in the ruling, but he basically said that, you know, there's, it's been years since Dick Devine was in office. We can put this back, this case specifically, right. we can give back to Kim Fox's office. And that's what happened yesterday. So mm-hmm. the John Burge case is very, very interesting. You know, the one thing I know you're talking about Dick Devine representing him. I covered the John Burge case when he was um, charged convicted of perjury at the federal courthouse and it was just very interesting and i was talking to a lot of reporters who are older than me and they told me that john burge was one of those officers that all everybody in the press loved and they said that nobody believed any of these accusations at the time and it was that reporter john conroy from the reader reader. and i sat next to him during some of the trial and you know he if it wasn't for him a lot of these allegations wouldn't have come to light and a lot of the old older reporters told me that everybody's to hang out with john burge he was like very media friendly a lot of these reporters that used to cover crime used to hang out with him not saying that they were friends but they would go out for a beer with this guy and so nobody it was like unfathomable when they heard about these allegations so nobody really pursued them yeah these are veteran reporters who yeah. told me that they're wow. like he was really popular guy those with the, the with st- the reporters those are the kinds of stories reporters tell other other sto- or reporters and but they don't usually tell the public you know, yeah it was a very it was later. a very interesting case you, and you were just a uh, uh, like a baby journalist i wasn't really roles. it was like 10 years ago oh, i wasn't was a baby okay, then i don't know right. i wasn't 10 years ago it was because <laughs> natasha karecki the then federal courts reporter was covering the i think was she covering 
Blagojevich, or yeah, was she it? Was. Natasha she might have been big with Blagojevich. But I was, I, I think, one time I covered. I ended up. I used to cover for her when uh, she was covering like the George Ryan case or the Blagojevich case. And there's another big case happening. They would send me there, and I would cover that those uh, stories. All right, uh, we're running out of time. Here we got our next two guests sitting here. Before we let you go, <laughs> Romana's recommendations. What you got? Well, I was going to tell you, I did see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yes. last weekend. Two thumbs way up. I I, I gave it week a week three stars. <laughs> I thought it was Wait, good. Wait, why do you have to put the week in there? It's either three stars. Because it was like, a, it was like, oh, it's good. I thought I think Tarantino's a very good filmmaker, uh-huh. and I thought he captured the time period very yeah. well. But I knew what the criticisms were, so I was like, probably going to agree with them. You know, like the the um, Sharon Tate character Margot Robbie didn't really talk; she was just kind of like someone in the background. But um, I do like uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, and I like Brad Pitt. I think they're both good actors. I think DiCaprio is a really good actor. All right. So I did like that. Okay, my recommendation was a movie that didn't come out yet, but I mean, I know I'm going to watch it. It's called Blinded by the Light, mm-hmm. and it's it's made by the same director who made Bend It Like Beckham. That's probably her most famous movie in the United States. She are, she also did this movie called Bride and Prejudice, which didn't do as well. But it's based on a memoir that I just finished up by this journalist named Sorfraz Mansour. And he grew up in, he's actually the same age as I am, Generation X. Uh, he grew up in the 70s and 80s in England. And he talks about, I think the book is basically about him growing up as a child of immigrants and his father was like, you know, a working class guy. And he ends up loving Bruce Springsteen and becomes a huge fan. He talks about how Springsteen kind of, you know, spoke to him. And he talks about how like he he ends up like coming to America because he wanted to see Springsteen and him and his friend and they're both South Asian. So it's kind of funny how they they well, everybody was loving New Wave, which is really funny because I the first time I was introduced to Springsteen was in 84 when he did, did Dancing in the Dark. That was that. That was the first video I saw of him, and I didn't know who Springsteen was. And I'm like, oh god, this guy's so cheesy. So I was into New Wave, and I and I actually my younger sister was really into Springsteen, and I saw Sp- Springsteen in the E Street Band in the late '90s, and I've been a fan ever since then. So I've been to like 10, 12 shows, but this guy, the author, has been to 150 shows. So the movie is a coming of age movie based on the South Asian guy w- and who loves Springsteen. Yeah. So Springsteen, you know, gave a green he gave light. light. He yeah. um, read the book and, you know, this guy bumped into him. Like he had, he used to like hang out at these concerts to see Springsteen. He'd come to America to see Springsteen. So it's a, it's the book um, was interesting. I could relate to some of it. Some of them, some of it was definitely a little different because my father, I definitely was not, you know, he had to work as a young teenager, I was totally privileged. So, you know, and but some of the stuff being a child of uh, South Asian immigrants and particularly Muslim, it was I could definitely relate to it. So I thought I thought I think it's pretty cool. So yeah, that's I, I'm looking forward to it. And I've seen the, so many of the previews and the one where uh, the Brit, British uh, South Asian dude comes to the United States and uh, the. You've probably seen this. Yeah, preview. that actually really happened, Where? but not when he was. He went to. He was like right after nine eleven. In the in the sh- in the movie, he's like sixteen. I think he's around the same age. But you know, they obviously have to like change a few things. But he was right after nine eleven. He was talking about how he was scared and to be like stopped at the airport. So he went there, and they're like, "What are you doing here?" And he's like, "Well, I'm here. I came to see Springsteen." And the guy's like, "I can't think of a better reason to come to the great United States of America than to see the boss." And yeah. he said that. So that really did happen. Yeah. So I, 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 my younger sister had the book, so I read it. It's like a quick read, so I read it really quick before. So the movie's going to come out on the 16th. 
But yeah. they had they had a premiere in New Jersey in yeah. Asbury Park. And Bruce and, was there. And the boss showed up and played and had an impromptu concert. Uh, I am definitely going to see that movie as well. And I'm going to get around to seeing uh, the, 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 the farewell. farewell as all well. And I'm just going to say one more time to you and our mutual friend Maureen O'Donnell, who I know is listening. You should watch the movies before you read all the stories. Read the stories because once you read mo- articles about movies let's say there's articles critical of the bruce Springsteen movie you start reading the articles that are critical to bruce it gets in your head no 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 no. but tarantino has like specific issues tarantino has issues we all have issues (laughs) he has some real issues but i'm just saying when 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 we like when the people well i read this article that went go see the movie (laughs) anyway all right that's me in that movie romana i'm not going to see you for a week because i'm going on vacation have fun i will have fun and i will see you uh the week after that will be you'll be appearing at the with us at the reader office when we do the special reader show uh, with Mick and that'll be a lot of fun uh, Ramana and Mick and you'll get to hear where uh, one one thinks one thing the other thinks the other thing and then you can weigh and judge them anyway Ramana thank you so much appreciate you coming in as always thank you all right we got the political know-it-alls on deck getting ready to talk politics 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 we'll bring Jacob and Daniel on in a bit. Hey, everybody, what you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind, but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U, E, L, P, I, A, N, I, S, T, dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. In 2010, you petitioned the USDA to keep frozen pizzas in school lunches, therefore allowing for the sauce to be counted as a vegetable in order to support the business of a Minnesota frozen foods company. Amid the obesity epidemic that has plagued this country for decades, to what extent do you believe that the financial interests of corporations in your home state should outweigh the health of America's next generation? Okay, that's a big question. Uh, Thank you. First of all, I made clear in a New York Times article a few years later when I was asked about that, that it was just a letter that I had sent. Um, We were in the middle of the downturn, and it was a little more, I would say, complex in terms of the language, but it's a fair criticism. And so I said I regretted sending that letter. It was about uh, trying to keep a company afloat in a really small town uh, that employed a bunch of people. But I think that nutrition is paramount for this country, and that's why way before I was running for president, I said that that was a mistake, all right? So let's 
It's the butter cow, which has nine hearts to represent the nine essential nutrients in milk. That's right. It's made entirely out of butter. And, it, you know, it's a state fair tradition since at least 1922. Hey, playing now at Steppenwolf Theater, the world premiere of Ms. Black for President. It's inspired by the true, that's true as in it really happened, T-R-U-E story of Joan Jett Black, America's first drag queen presidential candidate. You know who created it, D? No. It was created by Tony nominee Tina Landau. Oh. And you know who else created it? No. Oscar winner Terrell Alvin McCraney. You know him, Moonlight. Oh, oh, oh yeah. yeah. For tickets, visit Steppenwolf.org. That's Steppenwolf, like the rock group from the 60s, Hang tight, millennials. (laughs) When you lose a loved one whose wishes were to be cremated, Chicagoland Cremation Options provides your family a dignified and affordable cremation service. Chicagoland Cremation Options helps you bypass the expensive overhead of a funeral home or cemetery by streamlining the cremation directly. It saves you sometimes thousands of dollars. Chicagoland Cremation Options Crematory, just south of O'Hare, five minutes west of Chicago. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. You can find them at ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time, ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. All right, everybody, hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Friday, August 9th is just moments away. But before we get into that, we need to thank the following unions once again for jumping on board and helping bring back our program. First up, it's the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. A giant thank you to those unions for jumping on board and bringing back our program. And, of course, today's show is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two, let's go. Wait, well, okay, let's go. It is Friday, August 9th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, it's the return of Jacob Kaplan and Dan Pogoshelsky. Around here, we call them the Illinois Political Know-It-Alls. And now your host... Around here, and we just call him that guy getting water in the water fountain by the women's room. Chicago columnist Ben Jarofsky. Yes, indeed, the political know-it-alls. The Illinois political know-it-alls. That's good, adding the Illinois, because we have the Northwest side political know-it-alls. Uh, Mr. Feller came by, uh, and uh, uh, Jamie Andrade. And we have the South side political know-it-alls. We have the suburban political know-it-alls. <laughs> we have pol- the uh, Heartland Mama political know We have a lot of political know-it-alls in this show. But these are the OGs. They were the original. All right? Political know-it-alls going way back to that show. I used to have on a radio station. I just can't remember the station uh before we bring jacob and uh, young daniel on d what you got for me it was wcpt 820 oh, okay yeah, so um <laughs> oh yeah oh thank you you're fired uh <laughs> Oh, and just a little inside joke we have here on the program. The water fountains here at the Chicago Sun-Times are placed so poorly oh, right yeah. by the women's bathroom. I, so anytime you go to get a drink of water, someone comes out of the bathroom and you look like a weirdo. So yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that, that's it happens to me, too. Yeah, so, yeah, no. all right, we, we do have some updates here. First up, uh, we have some 2020 presidential candidate updates. Mm. Yeah, I know, right? Kirsten yeah. Gillibrand. Then you know where you love her, right? 
Well, I know her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really drinking the Kirsten Kool-Aid at the moment, but... Uh, well, you may be after okay. we hear her first political ad. That's Ooh, right. She's got the know-it-alls and they can comment on Kirsten it. Kirsten right. Gillibrand, the campaign is, has Get released their first early state TV ad. It says, this is the vision we're fighting for. Chip in to help keep on the air in Iowa and New Hampshire and secure a spot on the debate stage. Well, let's give it a listen here. The latest ad from Kirsten Gillibrand. Imagine an America where harmony displaces hate, that protects our planet, provides health care for everyone. An America where public places are safe spaces, where morality overrides money, power restored to the people. Imagine a leader driven by compassion, brave enough to take on the impossible, who looks beyond herself to do what's best for us. I'm Kirsten Gillibrand, and I approve this message. Well, that wasn't bad. No, <laughs> that's playing in, in Iowa as we speak. And New Hampshire. Oh, and New Hampshire. Interesting. Yeah. All right, we're gonna, one of the things we're going to do with Jacob and Daniel is go through the schedule of the primaries and see sure. you know, which one has the significance. I just which had one comment go about ahead. that last yes. ad that we listened to. Oh. Uh, I'd be worried about a lawsuit from the same folks that the same firm that did the it's morning in America ad. And I know that a lot of these ads are very similar, but boy, you know, it's morning in America, the Ronald Reagan, the Ronald ad Reagan. Ad. Yeah. You know, that kind of ask kind of reminiscent. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Especially as they're like, I mean, to me, it's almost like what, watch out for the ambulance chaser, chaser lawyers and be like, Hey, we got to find this, uh, get, get a lawsuit. Out yeah, there. actually I get you. I get you what you're saying with the music building up. Oh, and totally. The, uh, and the voice, even the timbre of the voice was so similar, you know, uh, Jacob, it's what'd, you, morning what'd you think of it? Eh, I mean, it, it's a good ad. It's kind of generic. Yes, yeah. it is. Uh, Very generic. Not surprised to be honest. Uh, you're not surprised because but, of the candidate. Yeah, or, yeah. This is kind of what I, I would expect from her campaign. So, I mean, it's, if people are looking for, just stability, and yeah, I'm going to be somebody who you elect, and you don't have to. That isn't in the news every day. I think that's what she's kind of aiming at there. It does that job, but I'm not sure if it's going to stand out really. Yeah, no, I don't think it stands out at all. To be honest with you, uh, and uh, that's by cursing Gillibrand. That to me is uh, the. Oh, I haven't had you guys on since the debate. It's We've been talked a while. so yeah. many times about the debate because you were out of the, uh, the country for a, we missed a segment. Yeah, um, this guy was also in Stockholm. Yeah, and well, out of the country. Okay, gone so long they haven't heard our our new drop-ins. That's correct. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, this that's, idea is a bunch of malarkey. <laughs> yeah, it's Joey yeah. B. Um, but uh, you know, when you have twenty-five people running and twenty are on a stage, ten on one night and ten on the other night with the debates, you really have to do something uh, to make yourself known and. Uh, to a certain degree, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, obviously, come into the race with an advantage. Uh, at Kamala Harris in that first debate delivered that strong punch against Joe Biden that elevated her prominence. Uh, Kristen Gillibrand has been uh, unable at this point, I'm just speaking it right yep. like it is, to sort of break out of the pack. And I'm not sure this commercial will do the no, she honestly wants to, obviously, as she said, wants to make sure that she polls well enough to be in the next debate. So mm -hmm. trying to stay relevant by putting this out there. Uh, all right. Uh, Dee, do you have any more updates? Because he just gave me something I want to ask him about. Well, uh, the, um, less of an update, more of a question. Today's okay. big question that we're asking on both Bendrovsky Show Facebook and Twitter pages. I'll pull from the page right now. The question is, in all the Chicago history that you can remember, just be thinking about this, boys, because we're going to get an answer on this by the end of the show. In all Chicago history that you can remember, what was the best and or worst 
budget deal plan. We're talking about this, obviously, because on August 29th, Mayor Lightfoot is going to announce her plans for the budget. So the best budget idea plan and the worst. That's what we're looking for. Head over to the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page or Twitter page at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show, J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y. We'll be reading your comments on the program. All right. Very good. Uh, Dan Pogoshelsky uh, and Jacob Kaplan, longtime political strategist here in Cook County for the Democrats. Uh, and been involved in a lot of campaigns, mostly on the local level. Let's talk a little national politics, gentlemen. <laughs> and uh, so first of all, let's just get some of these. Uh, you guys really know the ins and the outs of these things. Uh, polls well enough to be in the next debate. Before we get to the primaries, before we get to the caucuses, we have, I think, three more debates. Am I right about that? I believe it's three. Three more debates. I've lost track. September, October, November. I think three more debates. Mm -hmm. And their requirements, the Democratic Party have set up requirements, uh, eligibility requirements. So at the moment, it's not clear uh, how many candidates will qualify for the uh, debate stage in September. My memory is, and if you two guys would know this, but you two, <laughs> that eight have qualified at the moment. Do I have that right? It, that number's yeah. right, yes. It's eight have qualified for the moment. So what are the qualifications for the next round, do you know? Well, one of them is, I believe, $130,000 in small donations, which is one of the reasons why, uh, I, I believe that's the... the no, the, not $130,000, 130000 $130, Thirty dollars contributions, yeah. yeah. individual yeah. contributions. I apologize. Yeah. Yeah. So one hundred thirty thousand uh, small d d contributions, which yeah. is why. Uh, so, like uh, Tom Steyer, I don't know if you guys are on social media, but like on Facebook and Instagram, simply keep on having uh, <laughs> ads from him. Like, please give me a small dollar donation. Why would you ever? And he yes, there's been a series, so it's now gotten to the point where he's like, why would you need to give money to a billionaire running? to be president yeah. well it's because i need this and so just think to yourself like how much money is this guy plopping in to like mark zuckerberg right through facebook and instagram to base <laughs> to try to get these small dollar donors that's a valid point tom Steyer, of course a billionaire hedge fund guy from california whose main issue is uh, impeaching donald trump i was very surprised that he jumped into the rage he, he has not been in a debate yet no uh because he was well first of all i don't even think he was running for the, when they had the first <laughs> yeah, debate he wasn't this guy jumped in after the first debate i'm not quite sure why he's running jacob kaplan but he is running uh he's been in then he's been out then he's been in and so the other uh, qualification is you have to have what at least two percent of the vote uh in polling the, polling uh, yeah. yeah in a poll all right your thoughts on that is that uh two percent on one hand sounds really low yeah but with 20 what number are we at now 20 25 25 right. yeah <laughs> 25 candidates yeah. i mean it's it's still it's quite a bar to uh to, to reach for some people so i'm just excited to actually see you know bernie and uh and and Kamala and Elizabeth Warren and Uncle Joe on the same stage. And, uh, you know, I think that's what a lot of people are looking for. Yeah, people, by the way, we do not know that they'll be on the same stage because, again, uh, I think it's mid August 20 something uh, is the uh, cutoff date. So if Tom Steyer can get those 130,000 and he can get to 2% on four polls, he has to find four polls. They might have to split it into two sessions. <laughs> two then. sessions yeah. again. So I think if you get more than 10 candidates, they're going to split into two sessions. So everything we want. I now, know. All right. Strategically, <laughs> do you think it's uh, it, it hurts the Democrats to uh, continue to have so many candidates? Or do you think it builds the brand and so keeps interest a lot? Did it hurt the Republicans in 2016? Well, obviously, it didn't hurt them that bad because they won the presidency. But how That's long it. before they started cutting back? 
they never how long they had they started off with two right yeah. i mean you had where in uh yeah there were two and there were all these different kids table debates yeah, and it was I mean, I mean that was a mess it, it, <laughs> it was a mess right but trump trump took it right he yeah. took the presidency yeah so, so do you know when it was that i mean you had wasn't it in february and april of uh, of 2016 when you still when you had the uh famous debate where uh um Chris Christie pulled a suicide kind of uh, rhetorical uh, offense on Marco Rubio, right? Who everyone was really assuming at that point, a lot of the pundit class was assuming Marco Rubio is going to take it after Jeb Bush imploded. Yeah. And you still had like 17 people, I think, at that time on the debate stage for the Republicans. So, no, so we're the new norm. Seems, I, seems, seems like, like it. it. Yeah. Especially, you know, one of the changes that we've seen is that. Uh, and this environment made it possible for Donald Trump to rise is that it's it's become more like a the debates have become more like a reality show and Donald Trump really realized how you have to go for the sound bites why is nobody talking about Kristen Gillibrand she's kind of uh, you know it's like it's not bad but it's not good it's kind of generic right and in today's media saturated environment where everyone's like oh my god did you see this especially as that's ratcheted up under president trump i mean everything that we're talking about that whole cheat sheet you sent us yeah. to be gone as long as we get a tweet like oh blago's been commuted and all of a sudden we're going to talk about something else yeah. that's equally true about the debates do you think the format, Jacob, uh, benefits any one particular candidate for the Democratic Party? No, it doesn't benefit a particular candidate. It certainly benefits the people that have no real intention to run for president and are just trying to raise their profile and name ID to get a CNN spot or show or something down the road. I mean, that's let's be honest. I think 10 of these candidates at least are not running for president, really. So that's that's, to my mind, the issue with doing this sort of format. Personally, I think it makes more sense to have some sort of benchmarks for polling that you have to meet to uh to be on the stage in these situations but i don't know some people think, think differently should, do you think they should go to a format where uh you have the grown-up table and the ba and the child table. so in other words if you're above let's say five percent in a poll five percent you get to be with biden and warren and uh and bernie etc uh if you're below five you're at the kids table yeah everybody oh, can be at that one that's how the republicans did yeah. it yeah it is i mean I, I don't know but then everyone complains about that format people are never going to be happy yeah I, I thought that this format was actually pretty good where you mixed it up it really gives the opportunity for people to shine that people might have not been expecting to like would julian castro have have done as well if if he didn't have that opportunity because i don't believe that he was doing very well in the polls and a lot of there were voices that were saying this that he should drop out and yet he had a very solid performance and so i think that there's a good argument to be made to have more voices all right so uh, let's okay so we these are the debates we're stuck with we, it's not like they're going to listen to my show and listen to you two guys and change the rules we're stuck with these rules we're probably going to have two debates in september uh, my guess is is that enough candidates will meet this threshold that they'll survive uh, are there any candidates that surprise you uh, that they've done as well as they have uh, any particular candidates come to mind uh good good question i mean i've i've been it's gone. I've gone back and forth on on some of these uh, uh, candidates. I mean, I think I was surprised. It's not necessarily that anybody that was less well known surprised me, though. I think you, you know you, you saw a little bit of that in some of the uh, 
some of the candidates that were polling really low. But I think, the, you know, Bernie did really well in the last uh, debate, I thought, and I didn't expect him. He wrote him. the damn bill. Yeah. It's been interesting to see the kind of the prime time, the, the top candidates and how they've kind of ebbed and flowed. And, and, you know, Biden did terribly in the first debate, did better this time around. So that's what I found most fascinating about these is just seeing the, uh, the, the candidates, the, at least the ones that are doing well polling wise and how they've changed, uh, uh, how each debate is different. So. It's kind of like watching Muhammad Ali. You know, you know the guy's going to be doing well, but boy, there's a lot of uh, drama and suspense as you watch him duck and dodge. Yeah. And well, I, I got to tell you guys, uh, Marion Williamson is the one who's. Oh, you you wanted me to mention her name. Yeah. You guys flunked yeah. the test. Yeah. Uh, but Marion <laughs> Williamson, I'm not just saying this because my good friend, old Kitty Kurth and Kevin Lampy are working <laughs> for her. Uh, first of all, the first debate. She was so different, uh, and you know she brought on a lot of criticism of herself. A lot of people mocked her. Romano, who comes to the show every Friday, was making fun of her. So it sounded like a Beatles song, and uh, so a lot of people were making fun of her. But in the second debate, she had a she she that answer on reparations was so powerful for me, and we played it a lot. I don't know if you heard it or you know what I'm talking about the Forty Acres and the Mule one. And um, she was just so passionate and just so uh, unabashed about saying what she was going to say. It, it was just a declaration, and that impressed me. I would not be surprised if she survives, gets stronger. You know, there's always the, the, a surprise candidate. There's usually sure. a surprise candidate. Uh, who was the surprise candidate? I'm trying to think back in 2000. Howard Dean. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, nobody saw that coming. Uh, until <laughs> Didn't he, see the scream coming. The either. scream no. coming blew up in uh, Iowa. But I would not be surprised if she emerged, continues uh, to make it through the ranks. Yeah, I wouldn't either. I just, but I, let's, I mean, I don't know. I'd, I'd still find it hard to take her really seriously. I guess it's nice to have, you know, and she's made some good points, as you said. So it's, it's. I understand that uh, it's nice, you know, it's, uh Maybe a voice that's nice to have on the debate stage, but it's to some. Sometimes I'm just so utilitarian in these things. I just only want the really serious candidates on the on the stage, the ones that can actually be president. I actually had a question for you, if you don't mind me asking, Ben. Go ahead. How did you feel the Kamala Harris did in the last two debates? Well, oh, the last. You mean last the last two. debate? Uh, the last two. Well, uh, the only two. The, the only two. Well, I mean, that's yeah. true. Yeah. All right. So I, 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 this, last, no, this I, is yes. okay. Uh, I, I have a confession to make. Uh, after debate number one, when she went after Biden, I was feeling the Kamala Harris wave. I was talking a about drinking the, the Kamala Harris Kool Aid. Hold on, I'm gonna have a little right now. <laughs> Wait, that cup's empty. No, no, there's still a little. Oh, just a little. There. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. And uh, so I was really feeling it, and uh, I started reading about her and her background, and uh, I saw that some of the inconsistencies in her rhetoric now and her record as Attorney General in at the, in California. So I was really curious. Come debate two, uh, how she would respond, and. I, I was also noting that uh, this is a telltale sign and a politician where she was backtracking a bit. In debate one, they made him do a show of hands, and the question put him, how many here think people should have to give up their private insurance for a, uh, a, a Medicare for All plan or a, a single-payer plan, what have you? Uh, and she raised her hand. Immediately, she started backtracking. So I'm like, uh-oh, health care is going to be an issue for Kamala Harris. Sure enough, Debate two, she stumbled so poor, badly on health care. And Dan and Jacob, I just think this is a 
fundamental issue that is the um, uh, the Democrats' strongest suit, and they should speak with one voice on this issue and not try to be everything to everybody all over them. I'm not saying it's easy. Uh, and that's why I think Bernie is so strong right now, he, because he doesn't mess around. He doesn't try to on one hand this and one hand that. Uh, he's been consistent. He's been consistent the whole time. Exactly. Get going. Kamala, that's where she, in my opinion, really stumbled. In that she started, she was going down that Clinton path, that Obama path, where, well, we're going to have this, we're going to have that, it's going to be then. People are like, huh, what? I can't find. So that's, so right now, um, Kamala has fallen a bit on my uh, on my list, and Bernie's back up number one. Uh, that's my view. And what's your? St- what, how do you visit, think of it? Uh, you know, I, I'd always kind of after her her, her very strong performance in, in the first debate. I myself was wondering when the fact that she was a prosecutor and all of that is really going to manifest itself. And you saw that the chinks in those in the armor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, really manifesting themselves. And you're just wondering, as time goes on, right, if, if she's going to be able to sustain that. And I think there are serious questions that we all saw. I, I agree. You know, that's she, another example of, of going up really high in the first debate and then kind of falling falling flat in the second. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think the person that's been really consistent also is Elizabeth Warren. So, I mean, I she's her. still up there in the in the polls and that shows as well. Mm-hmm. So that's she's been very steady recently so and, and we'll the, see and the, the the trick is to not crest too early and this is where you're just looking at elizabeth warren it's like consistent 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 and just waiting for the right timing right because timing is everything the right thing at the wrong time equals pain yeah and we've seen that with candidate after candidate right um so you're just wondering yourself like man are, are is this just going to be the perfect opportunity for a nice free throw and all of a sudden game change uh, and uh, speaking of which, uh, game changes, will Illinois be a game changer uh, in this uh, primary season? Uh, Jacob, what's, talk about where Illinois' primary falls uh, in the total scheme of things. In the past, I've always been disappointed. I, I think I have to go back to 1992 uh, to feel that uh, there was a compelling reason to vote in Illinois presidential primary in terms of still having an impact. Well, remember, we moved in 2008, we moved our primary up to February because of Obama. Oh, I forgot that so completely. We were much more relevant in 08 because we decided that our hometown guy yeah. is going to be the nominee, so we got to move it up and, so we're more relevant. And you guys weren't even around in 92. The only reason yeah. I remember 92 is because there was a presidential debate uh, here in Illinois involving Clinton, Jerry Brown, uh, and I believe uh, Sangus was on, on that stage as well. And that's where Jerry Brown got into it with Bill Clinton over Hillary Clinton. The days when Illinois was a swing state. I mean, remember that like in the year 2000, you still had Dick yeah. Cheney coming to Illinois, trying to, you know, hopefully win it for, wow. for the Bush ticket. Illinois for the Bush Jr. ticket. Yeah. Uh, baby Bush. All right. So talk about where we uh, fit Illinois yeah. fits in the scheme of things. So, you know, the main thing that's changed now is the fact that uh, California is part of Super Tuesday on March 3rd. So you've got California, Massachusetts, Minnesota, a lot of influential states with a lot of votes on March 3rd, which I think disadvantages Illinois. And then March 10th, you've got Michigan, Missouri, Ohio, uh, some states with a lot of population. So by the time we get to Illinois on March 17th and we share our date with Arizona and Florida, uh, there's, you know, I mean, it could be that it's still wide open, but I, I kind of doubt it. I think by the time we get to March 17th, I think there'll be a sense of who the likely or maybe one or two people that uh, 
are, are probably the likely nominees. Uh, but I still think Illinois will be important. I think in a race this wide open at this point with this many candidates, I think the Illinois primary will still be contested. So, I mean, that's my take on it. I just want to bring up, you know, so on the one hand, having it earlier in the winter is good for relevancy. But on the other hand, if you're talking about how many people are going to come out, you know, how many are you going to get volunteers, right? Isn't it often that you hear criticism like, oh, my God, it's so cold outside. No one's going to come out and vote. No one's going to come out and volunteer. And so, you know, it's it's a tricky balance, right? Because the presidency only comes once every four years. You have congressional and, and other races and primaries, which are important, you know, all the other years. And so when do you want to do it? You can't have it all. You got to figure out how you want to approach this. Uh, it's a valid point. Uh, yeah, but <laughs> I got to give you credit for that point. Yeah. But in a presidential race, I think people are interested in volunteering no matter what. I mean, people go to freezing cold New Hampshire and Iowa in, you know, January to, to work those primaries. So I, yeah. I don't is, know. Is the Cook County party going to get involved in this at all? Or are you, are you going to sit this one out? Uh, we're not, we're not, we will, we'll be involved. We're not getting involved yet. So we have slate making next week, but we're not going to deal with president yet. Uh, we're going to give it a little time, but I have a feeling we may go back maybe in January and uh, consider making an endorsement, depending on how things go. Who is strongest right now of all the candidates in Illinois? It's really hard to say. I think from the polling I've seen, the, the, it pretty much matches the national polling, which is that Joe Biden's doing well here and uh, Bernie's doing well here to a degree and Warren's doing well here. But I don't think there's any candidate that's doing better in Illinois than other places necessarily from what I've seen. Speaking of slate making, I just thought it'd be good for a uh, shameless plug here. Uh, you had mentioned Mr. Jurasky. You were enthralled with a certain headline that myself and Jacob were involved in. Oh, okay. Yep. Okay. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> shameless let, plug. Shameless plug. That's we right. will uh, uh, tease. We'll get to this uh, this booklet that's been on our desk, uh, on the guest desk for about two months now. And yes, these two gentlemen deserve the credit. We gave all the credit to Andrew Schneider, uh, but these two gentlemen get the credit. Every guest who comes here loves this book. So we're going to take a break. We'll bring uh, talk a little local politics when we return. So, again, I, I think if we're going to force Americans to make these radical changes, they're not going to go along. You, you Throw your hands up. But you, oh, you haven't implemented. <laughs> oh, I can do it. But you haven't implemented the plans. Us governors and mayors are the ones that we have to pick up all the pieces well, when suddenly the government's supposed to take over all these responsibilities and there's no preparation, the details aren't worked. You can't just spring a plan on the world and expect it to succeed. John. Senator Sanders. John, I was a mayor, and I helped transform That's my true, city. Fair. I have some practical experience. Second of all, on, interestingly enough, today is the anniversary of Medicare. 54 years ago, under Linda Johnson and the Democratic Congress, they started a new program after one year, 19 million elderly people in it. Please don't tell me that in a four-year period, we cannot go from 65 down to 55 to 45 to 35. This is not radical. This is what virtually every other country on Thank Earth you, does. Senator. Today's Ben Jaromsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Discover the breadth and majesty of Chicago's architecture on a Chicago Architecture Center bus tour. From bungalows to Bauhaus, our expert docents will share the fascinating stories behind our city's architecture. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a bus tour right now. Oh, my. Look at that wonderful piece of architecture.
Get a special discount for Illinois residents from July 15th to August 15th. All Illinois residents get 50% off select walking tours. Visit architecture.org slash IL dash resident. Three, two, one. I think that what we have to do is we have to be an America that is clear about what we want to do with immigration. We need to expand legal immigration. We need to create a path for citizenship, not just for dreamers, but for grandmas and for people who have been working here in the farms and for students who have overstayed their visas. We need to fix the crisis at the border. And a big part of how we do that is we do not play into Donald Trump's hands. But he wants to stir up the crisis at the border because that's his overall message. It's if there's anything wrong in your life. Thank you, Senator Warren. Governor Bullock, your response. But you are playing into Donald Trump's hands. The challenge isn't that it's a criminal offense to cross the border. The challenge is that Donald Trump is president and using this to rip families apart. A sane immigration system needs a sane leader. And we can do that without decriminalizing, providing health care for everyone. And it's not me saying that. That's Obama's Homeland Security Secretary that said you'll cause further problems at the border, not making it better. Look, Look, what you're saying is ignore the law. Laws matter. And it matters if we say our law is that we will lock people up who come here seeking refuge, who come here seeking asylum. That is not a crime. Today's Ben Jarofsky show is also brought to you in part by Green Element Resale. It's located at 6241 North Broadway, and it is amazing. Furniture, appliances, lamps, books, clothes, electronics. It is a thrift shop, but it's the only thrift shop in Chicago that helps bring you the Ben Jarofsky show. So if you are ever on Broadway between Granville and Devon, Stop in and tell them thank you and go check out Green Element Resale, 6241 North Broadway, and find more information at greenelementresale.com. Green Element Resale, fantastic place where you can save tons of money, money, money. That's right. Also, hey, you feel that in the air, guys? I know it's a summer, but it's almost football season which means that the best sports reporters in Chicago at the Chicago Sun-Times want to offer you, our listeners, an exclusive deal on unlimited digital access to all of the stories that you love. Do not miss a game this season. Get all the big play scores and stories from the Chicago Sun-Times. For a limited time only, you can lock in our lowest rate yet, only $29.99 for a full year of all the news and sports that you need to know. Stay up to date on breaking stories, get the deep dives and investigations from Sun-Times reporters, and go deep inside uh, City Hall with the best-in-class political reporting from reporters like Fran the Woman Spielman and Tina Fondelas, and of course, cheer for the big games with the best sports team in the city. $29.99 for a full year of unlimited access. I checked online. I went and looked. It's true. You cannot do better than that. Take advantage of this exclusive deal now at suntimes.com forward slash Ben. Isn't that correct, Robert Mueller? That's correct. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed, we are live. We have the political know-it-all, the Illinois political know-it-alls. I like that. The Indiana. <laughs> Indiana, even though. One of them says he's from Indiana. Which is two, of them, face, two of them. Two of them. Face to face. Yeah. Okay. That, that, I don't know why you're bragging about the Hoosier connection. Because anyway, <laughs> the Cap- Democrats have done so well in Indiana. Yeah, right? they've really done well. And 
Buttigieg. I don't know why. There's one guy I do not know why he's running for president of the United States. He should be running for a senator in he's India. He's running for vice president, I think. Well, he'll never be. Probably uh, not. All right, Democrats. I got the uh, executive director of Cook County Democratic Party in the studio. I got the brains behind Michael Frederick's political campaign in the studio. I'm going to tell you guys right now, you want to win the presidency? Put Beto O'Rourke as vice president. Send him down to Texas. There you go. Bingo. 38 electoral votes. That's right Ben's up. formula. That's there Ben's formula. Beto, Beto hasn't been doing that. Well, I mean, although, boy, did Donald Trump throw that guy a lifeline. Uh, he really did. Well, okay. Well, yeah. Just, I mean, that's... We talk about the people killed in El Paso and that Donald Trump's a complete idiot about it. Yeah. But what I'm saying is that uh, when better or I heard him give an interview where he talked uh, talked about this, the 38 uh, electoral vo- uh, votes in Texas are up for grabs. Oh, yeah. you want to you want to play havoc with Donald Trump? You, you could put uh, Castro on the ticket as well. Get a Texan on that ticket and have that Texan spend the entire campaign down in Texas messing with Trump's brain and yeah. uh, do to Trump what Trump does to Democrats. Because Trump just wants to pretend as though the only states that he's going to campaign in are Wisconsin, uh, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, right? Yeah. Well, what if, about if you're making inroads into his uh, into his country? Hey, throw better. Every now and then, send him down to Florida. You know, you could always <laughs> pick Wendy Davis. Yeah, Wendy Davis has got, well, how did you... Very. That's why there we call the political know-it-all. <laughs> Wendy Davis ran for governor a few years ago, and she's a state senator in Texas. Very good, young Daniel, for knowing that. D, before we get back to these gentlemen, you got an update for me? Absolutely here. Uh, we have to give a shout-out to a good friend of the Ben Jarofsky Show, former CPS teacher and CTU activist, Erica Wozniak. Oh, Francis. Yeah. Yes. Our, our dear friend. <laughs> yes. That's right. Uh, it looks like she's taking a new job here. She will join the office of Alderman Samantha Nugent. Mm-hmm. Ben, what ward is that? Uh, that's 30. 38th. 39th ward. No, that's not. It's Samantha Nugent is the 39th ward alderman. Oh, you're right. Right. Oh, my God. Because uh, Lorino stepped uh, stepped down. That's accurate. That is correct. Yep. yep. 39th. 39th. I almost ward? said 38th. And you I'm my poor it. friend Spazzato. Sorry, Nick. <laughs> oh, he's listening right now, just raging out. <laughs> yep. I'm mad. <laughs> got my 38ths and 39ths mixed up. She will join the office of Alderman Samantha Nugent, of the, the 39th ward, as chief of staff beginning August 19th. And as we all know, Erica Wozniak is also co host of the Girl Talk, a fantastic program at the Hideout 1354 West Wabanzia. She's right. chosen as Teacher of the Year in the whole United States, actually. It was one of the awards that she Whoa. got. Yes. Yeah. A couple years ago. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, by the way, where are you reading that from? Oh. The Illinois Political Bulldogs over at Illinois Political and one Shia Campos. Oh, okay. That, uh, that, yeah. She, uh, uh, I'm allowed to say it now. She said, off the record, I'm taking this job. And the first question I asked her, uh, Alder woman uh, Samantha Nugent, any relation to Ted Nugent? Oh yeah, I'm sure she's <laughs> never heard oh, that. Man. Sorry, I'm she's never heard that Obama. <laughs> Who's that? Ted Nugent? No, Samantha Nugent. Oh, yeah, Ted yeah, Nugent? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah come yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and keep in mind, guys, the question that we're going to get an answer from each of you today: What is the best budget idea plan and the worst in all of the Chicago history that you can remember? All right, all be right, thinking well, about that. All right, sure, very good. We'll have that now. Um, Let's talk about this booklet here. And uh, this has a, been a great, uh, I, I guess you could call it a prop for the Ben Jarofsky For all the viewers show. on uh, 
the, uh, Andrew Schneider, a friend of yours, who is uh, an activist in the city of Chicago and a preservationist, comes on the show once in a while, talk about preservation issues. I wonder how you met him. Uh, yeah, <laughs> young Daniel. Uh, and uh, one day he showed up with this booklet, which is, what is what do they call it, a fundraising book? Yeah, ad uh, book. An ad book for a, a gentleman, uh, John Marson, who is a Democratic committeeman. I'm trying to read this from so far. 30, 35th Ward. 35th Ward. And a city yeah. clerk. And a city clerk. And well, Carlos Rosaland. Uh, Car- yeah. yeah, way before way Carlos. Uh, it was a, probably a much different war in terms of the boundaries. Uh, anyway, it hasn't changed that no, much. It's, actually, it's, it's very similar. Uh, well, uh, the big redistricting was in 1995, I want to say, which is 20 years after John mm-hmm. Marshall. Anyway, um, it this booklet is from 1977, and it's a portal to the past. And every guest who comes to this show, I, we leave it there for a reason. It, our guests. Two things. They love the lifesavers that Mark Sims brought, uh, which really irks Dennis because they open them on the show. But the other thing, which doesn't irk Dennis as much, they love to look through this book. So talk about this book. Yeah. So we uh, we were right, co-authoring a book on uh, Avondale, neighborhood of Avondale. And uh, we heard the rumor that uh, John Martian, we had heard the name. He was a city clerk under Richard J. Daley and longtime politi- politico on the northwest side. We heard rumors that his ward office was still there intact like frozen in time from the time he died in 1984 on diversity so dan here <laughs> I, I got dan on the case and he called and called and called the owner of this Jeez. building diversity and roughly where drake was drake it? drake yeah. yeah so just west near central park and uh called and called the owner of this building and one day we saw that they were getting ready to gut it and uh so we he persisted even more finally yeah. got in touch with the uh gentleman who was uh, right after it sold and and have to give a shout out to liz muscari who is the president of the avondale neighborhood association who helped us by um as that happened, connecting us with the owners who are like the new owners of the building once it was finally sold. Like, come in here, we're throwing this out in three days. They were, and so they invited us in. They're like, anything you want to take, you can take. So wait, Tama, so this, uh, Andrew told a story before, but I've forgotten the details. So the, it was, the building had been locked up and all this stuff is just sitting there. Since 1984 yeah. when he died. Wow. Literally. So we went and we could not believe our eyes that this entire ward office from the 80s was, and from going back, I mean, this guy had been in politics since the 50s. It was all there. Everything was there. Photos, books of jobs, patronage exactly. jobs, uh, you know, all sorts of. Uh, like all ad- the lists. Like, oh, hey, we have a, a job here. These are the precinct captains and, and yeah. what jobs they have. All of the, uh, you know, all the materials like this for front fundraising, the ad books, everything. So is it still really, there? Just let's pause to talk about that. An invaluable resource. You want to talk about how the Democratic machine back in the day, folks, when there were real patronage jobs, because of the Shackman decree, patronage is largely a thing of the past. It's a relic. But in the old days, uh, Mayor Daley, big Daley, not baby Daley, Mayor Daley could uh, force somebody who was, let's say, working, driving a truck for Streets and Sand to work a precinct for an alderman. And uh, that person was sort of indebted to the alderman for that job and uh, therefore had to be part of the campaign machinery. And so you're telling me you found lists where you had like Billy Bob, Streets and Sand driver, owes job to Alderman X. Oh, yeah. Like, hey, these are the lists of all of our These are jobs. our precincts and, yeah. and who the precinct captain is and what city job they have, too. Things like that. Um, but again, back then was totally legal. So, uh, yeah. But no, it was, it's an incredible collection. We're so glad we saved it because it would have been thrown out. And for, for years, we've been talking about maybe opening some sort of Chicago political museum. Maybe down the road, we'll yeah. still do it. But Louisiana has, an, by the way, a state political museum. Yeah. So what are you and doing I, with all the material? Well, like so it, it was sitting in a storage unit that we had to rent, basically, <laughs> to, to, keep, to store all this stuff. And finally, we decided, let's 
see if UIC is interested in it. And uh, we contacted them, and they were, because they have all the Richard J. Daly papers That's and a correct. whole bunch of... Uh, Rakoff's papers are there, too. I yep. didn't know yeah. Rakoff, and, a great and a, professor. And a ton of just political, you know, Chicago politico. So they were happy to take it, and we're glad that we got it there, because this is going to be a great resource for so, uh, researchers. So, um, so the, the, the material that you took from the apartment, you just moved it to UIC? Yeah. And yes. it's in the storage bin there? Well, they're... they're, well, they're, they're going to start uh, sorting it out and organizing it and inventorying it and it'll be available for the public in the next in upcoming years to research and go ahead so one of the things that really struck so uh, this man had an extraordinary love of himself Ooh, john marson yes. oh i don't know if you can overstate it it's and obviously people who are involved in politics to be able to do that you have to have a really healthy sense of ego and that's putting it diplomatically this is a person who as 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 folks in Ireland might might be want to say are beyond the beyonds just uh, on a on a on a really hard to surpass level there was a fight song about him that people that were members of the organization <laughs> yeah. there was not one but two photos one the young dapper portraits yeah, portraits, yeah, painted portraits two portraits right the young dapper office. polish prince john martian and then of course the elder <laughs> statesman yeah every, and this is what's going to be great for researchers though is that if somebody was like i want to show everything that i've accomplished right here you have where one of the the top um cogs of the daily machine right uh the person that was responsible with daily's own troubled relationship with chicago's polish community uh there's a great documentary that was in the bbc which talks about how on the one hand it was a huge percentage of the population was was polish right one third of the city council in the 70s was polish but at the same time his main rival remember boss by mike royko right was against his rivalry against ben Ad ben adamowski right back who, ben, who, ben's by the way amazingly enough i can't believe it has had two mentions on the ben jarofsky show in two days back <laughs> wow. to back yesterday i was talking about uh people using the cook county state's attorney's office uh, as a uh, launching pad mm -hmm. for higher office. And I said, well, there's Richard M. Daly, who was a state's attorney, then he ran for mayor. And before him, there was Ben Adamowski, 1960, mm -hmm. uh, who used that uh, position uh, to, actually, he, did, he, um, he used the race. I don't think he was actually, he was the Cook County state's attorney. Hell yeah, yeah. I mean, that's how he got and then he used on the headlines. Race. And he got the headlines and to run against Richard J. Daly for in mayor. 1963 for mayor. So it's funny. Which, was, which was the, the closest race. I mean, that for, was, yeah. Now, this is one of my favorite themes and Dan Pokershelsky's in the studio. Uh, you can help me on this one. Uh, when I think of the different ethnic groups in the city of Chicago mm -hmm. and the roles they've had in politics in Chicago, um, some have been greater than their numbers. Obviously, mm -hmm. the Irish in Chicago, oh, yeah. uh, Jews in Chicago. For um, uh, back in the day, Jake Arvey was the chairman oh, yeah. of the Democratic Party. Uh, had it was a close ally. People knew people knew that award nationally. Uh, but relatively speaking, the polls in Chicago for their numbers have not been as involved in politics. You have Roman Paczynski, who is a former alderman and congressman from the 41st Ward. Uh, on the northwest side of Chicago, he was a powerhouse during the daily years. But he uh, he was a limited powerhouse, and there, I, we've never had a Polish mayor. Uh, trying to think, yeah, Pratinsky ran, but he lost. So, young Dan, he of course, had Rostenkowski too. That's was going to say was the other Dan Rostenkowski, a person who, like Bill Clinton, signs uh, the. A I remember seeing a photo in the Rostenkowski home, and it's a photo from Bill Clinton to Dan Rostenkowski, and it has where Dan. And Tip O'Neill, is it Tip? Yeah, it was, it was Tip. They're both seated in the front row. 
And then Bill and Hillary are on the back, and he's like, even as a neophyte in Washington, I knew my place in the scheme of things. Obviously trying to... Is that your Bill Clinton imitation? <laughs> Pretty good, huh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's actually Thanks. not bad. Yeah. I feel your pain. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, well, you know, if uh, Senate President Cullerton has an, you know, routine, right? Why not us, yeah. right? <laughs> Senator Pre- uh, yeah, he's, yeah, he does a lot of... Uh, comedian impressions. Uh, he does a lot of imp- impressions. All right, but uh, so why, why do you think that that is, that... It, that polls have not been. It's as- muy complicado. You know, it's very complicated. You had a couple could have been's, right? So you had um, Ben Adamowski, who came very close. 1963. And, yeah, correct. Um, then you also had where one of the potential people who, if Eugene Sawyer had not been mayor, right, that was floated, supposedly, you know, Dick Mel likes to claim that he was one vote away. Um, but uh, for, the, for for mayor from, from after mayor, Harold Washington but died, but people have maintained. There's people that maintain the same thing about uh, Terry Gabinski, right? So that was uh, some people maintain that if Jim Lasky that he was on that trajectory, and that maybe that's even how he ended up being pinched. Is that some people being worried about like, oh, this is someone who's very ambitious, mm-hmm. that he might be future mayoral material, and that for that reason, um, you know, people were forthcoming with the information that led to him being charged. Um, so there's, there's that aspect. Um, I, it's, it's, it's a complicated, it's a complicated, uh, like all his historical, but I think that's maybe the, the quickest way to answer that question. Do you have a theory, Jacob? I mean, I think it was certainly, you know, when Richard J. Daley was in power and he wanted to keep the Irish, uh, leading things, I think oh, yeah. he purposefully made sure that, uh, the Polish community didn't have leaders that, uh, could surpass him, you know, as, as the, as uh, Milt Rakov's third book would have been titled if it come out, don't make anybody who can unmake you. So I think he probably, <laughs> that yeah. for real? That would have, yeah, that no, out. that was supposed to be his third book and he died, passed away before it came out, before he finished it. That uh, is a great title. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but I think that, uh, I think Richard J. Daly and, and the people in power at the time saw the Polish community, saw how large it was and uh, purposefully made sure that they couldn't uh, garner enough power or enough uh you know, people in, in politics to, uh, to to make a play at it. You know, it. that's one of the reasons why the Crosstown Expressway um, did not come to be is that, uh, and there's a, a great case to be made for this, so that it, all the stars had aligned in 1960, but it would have been such a polarizing issue that in that squeaker of election that was in 1963, the day was like, oh, I'm just gonna wait for it. And then what ends up happening? You have where the governors aren't with them, uh, whether it was the Republicans or the Democrats, then by the f- time he finally is able to come back to the issue yeah. in 1975, shortly before he died, it was just too much. You've had the expressway rebellions had already happened in Memphis and other places, and there's just no way this uh, gonna fly. Uh, Dan is alluding to a very important issue back in the 70s, way before a lot of people are tied, but it's a very important issue in the development of politics in, in Chicago, I would say, because uh, Mayor Daley, old man Mayor Daley, was proposing an expressway that would run through uh, several neighborhoods. He was saying he was doing this on behalf of just getting the trucking industry and uh, getting uh, goods in and out of Chicago. We absolutely needed this, this expressway, and there was a revolt uh, in the 70s. I remember this, and it, it, it probably put a few times, gentlemen, like the black community, the Polish community, a fledgling Hispanic community. They came together. They, to they fight. came together. Yeah. So instead of fighting each other, yeah. uh, they came together and fought daily, and it pushed, forced them back off. Uh, and it put, it put a lot of aldermen in some really tough situations because they had to decide whether they would go with their constituents or they were they going to go with Mayor Daley. Richard F. Mel was elected 
From, by the way, he was involved in the IVI IPO back then, right? As one of the uh, independence, know, independence, right? Independence. Yeah. <laughs> right. Who was like, long. I'm against, I'm against the Crosstown Expressway, and there's great footage, which has him, you know. Talking very bluntly, like, but wait, you were elected against the Crosstown Expressway. Why are you for it? Oh, but I, I, was, I got a good deal. I got, I got a great deal from 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 the mayor for it. You know, that is a very good melt. Yeah. Suddenly, Danny's like Rich Little. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> got all these invitations. By the way, I have to say this: we're gonna take a break, come back, and finish up our, our trivia questions. But uh, that John Marson book, which which uh, is the ad book, which has all photos of politicians uh, from 1977 and their names of all the aldermen. It's, it's a portal of the past, a comparable thing uh, to what you discovered. Uh, Steve Askin, a journalist in the city of Chicago back in the uh, 70s, uh, went to work for Harold Washington uh, to write his speeches. It was an aide to Harold Washington. And in 1977, Harold ran for mayor of the city of Chicago. Folks don't kind of forget that first run that he did in 77, which in many ways led the way for the, the famous 1983 run. And in 1977, Steve Askin was an aide to Harold Washington on that campaign, uh, writing speeches for him, doing press work. And um, Askin was a pack rack, and he kept a lot of the material the speeches, uh, the press releases, uh, letters that went back and forth. He kept it uh, in a box. And, you know, when he moved here and there, his life took him to various parts of the country, brought that box with him. Well, one day, when he, uh, not too long ago, a couple of years ago, he finally took the box down from his attic or his basement, wherever it was, and donated it to the Chicago Public Library. It is a treasure trove, folks. If you want to really do, you're really interested in Chicago politics, go back and read the uh, speeches from Harold, the memos from that campaign in 1977, look at some of the names of the people involved, read the press releases, almost every issue, Jacob Kaplan, that the city of Chicago is facing these days, budget issues, how are we gonna pay for government, relationships between the black community and uh, the police department, our schools, how are we gonna have integration, are we gonna have segregation, almost pol political patronage, is it fair to the black community? Almost every issue that we're still, that Lori Lightfoot is struggling with today, guess what? Harold was the dealing same. with in 1977. See, yep. Ben, this is exactly why you've made the one of the best arguments of why Chicago needs a Chicago political history museum or the state of Illinois. Seriously, because people know the, the slogan, Chicago po people in freaking Poland or wherever, like, oh, Chicago politics. It's along with the Bulls and Al Capone, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> now he's doing Polish invitations. No, but he's it's done Polish, Mel, and Clinton. Go did ahead. you know that Ron, so um, Donald Rumsfeld literally was explaining Chicago politics to Hamid Karzai when he was trying to get him of like, this is how you try to bring peace to Afghanistan. As he was explaining to him, well, this is Chicago politics and, and whatnot. And so I'm just trying to say, number one, this is very important for our history, for our legacy, but having such an institution, whether it's in Chicago or Illinois, is something that explains how we came to be what we are, right? It's it, he who does not do politics will have politics done to him. And to understand of how power relationships have created the city that we have, Ben, as you stated, this is why we need a Chicago Political History Museum. I actually agree with uh, young Daniel, and uh, we're going to take one last break and bring him back and close down the show. Stick around, folks. Not only improve, but make the educational system fair for all American people. All right, so thank you. You know, this scandal 
example just shows one more time that some folks who are rich just think they don't have to play by the same set of rules as anyone else and that they can use their money to do whatever it is in terms of buying influence. We have to put a stop to that. And it's, it's not just, it's everywhere now. And, and we're here talking about a presidential primary. It's everywhere in Washington. You know, I just, I want to say something about democracy for a minute. I get that we have a lot of differences. There'll be some people have a little more money, some people have a little less, some people who go further in school, some people who don't. But the one thing we should all own an equal share of is an equal share of our democracy. We need a government that doesn't just listen to the rich and the powerful, but a government that listens to all of us. It's Chicagoland's Adult Entertainment Playground. It's the world-famous Admiral Theater, 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. The Admiral is homegrown from Chicago, and it's the most conveniently located club in all of the city. 15 minutes from the O'Hare Airport in downtown Chicago Loop. Voted Chicago's best strip club, the Admiral has showgirls galore and a variety of adult entertainment shows. The world-famous Admiral Theater, open every day from 7 p.m. to 6 a.m., 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. For events, showtime, and other information, visit AdmiralX.com. Must be 18 years of age or older to enter. Today's Ben Jaromsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Get to know your city on one of Chicago Architecture Center's 65 walking tours. Hear the unforgettable secrets and stories behind Chicago architecture from our expert docents. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a tour right now. Oh, wow. Look at that building. Get a special discount for Illinois residents from July 15th to August 15th. All Illinois residents get 50% off select walking tours. Visit architecture.org slash IL dash resident. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky, take us to that extended weekend and week. Yes, indeed. Uh, this is the, the, the last segment of the last show before vacation. All right, we'll be back after vacation, uh, but Dennis and I will be taking a week off. And so, D, you got all sorts of things planned for next week. We have uh, shows that we're going to air, old shows you might have missed. Yeah, that kind yeah, of thing. we're going to throw up uh, a lot of bonus interviews, um, just previous shows, uh, enough to keep you people entertained until we get back. All right, we need some downtime. Yes, we do, and we have a bunch of bonus interviews. Uh, we got one coming up with Neil Muhammad. He'll be in here really soon. Uh, the man knows absolutely everything about absolutely everything. All right, uh, we have the political know-it-all. Speaking to people who know absolutely everything about everything, Jacob Kaplan and Dan Pogoshelsky. D, let's get an update here and get the uh, Dan and uh, Jacob's added reaction to it. All right, it's our question of the day, and it's a big one, all right? Lori Lightfoot just announced that on August 29th, she will announce her ideas for the budget plan. So I figured I'd take to the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page. Oh, and by the way, on the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook and Twitter pages, it's the latest Chicago Reader column from our very own Ben Jarofsky. It's titled The Modest Proposal. We'll talk about that a little later. But we got to talk about this question, all right? August 29th, Lori Lightfoot will announce her budget city plans. We went to the Facebook page to ask all of you, what is the best budget plan that you can think of in all of your history in Chicago and the worst so we're going to throw it over to all of you guys here. First up, Ben Jarofsky, the best and worst well, budget me, plan idea. All right, let me start with the worst because, uh, as I said earlier, this is a challenge of two fronts, in my opinion. Uh, in terms of the worst, there's so many bad things that our mayors and leaders have done with the budget that it's hard just to 
come it down to one thing in terms of the best. There's so few good things that they've done with the budget that it's hard to even find something. So for worst, I would have to say the parking meter deal. Um, yeah. Thanks. <laughs> this is why he's the host and he gets to go first. Yeah. <laughs> I think like the parking meter deal. It's boring for us to say the same thing. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, feel free to, <laughs> to say it because it's it, it, it definitely of recent time. I mean, you could talk about pension issues, et cetera, but I mean, everything about the parking meter deal, the the asset that's probably worth over the course of the deal, $10 billion at least, selling it for $1 billion. Uh, essentially, folks, what he did was they borrowed money. They borrowed a billion dollars and agreed to pay $10 billion uh, it back. And that that's the parking meter deals. And not only that, we lose it. wasn't 10 wasn't the parking meter deal only like a billion? No, I said we, we borrowed a billion. Oh, yeah. They, in other words, they gave us a billion, and then we gave them 10, all the proceeds. Yeah. For, yeah. So they're going to make all that. They're going to make it They've already made back the money, I believe. Yes. And, yeah. and don't forget that this has also hampered development because they've made quite a pretty penny from uh, fumbles by the city where they've allowed for public parking in areas where they weren't supposed to because it would compete with other areas. Yeah, no, it's it's a terrible deal from start to finish. And uh, it was passed in a wretched f uh, manner where they rushed it through without any analysis. Let's give Scotty Waggis back credit. He stood up and let's well, give Tony Preckwinkle Tony credit. Tony stood up. Yeah. yeah. Oh, here right. we go. Trivia question for our know-it-alls. Yeah. Uh -oh. they, uh, they know it all. Name? The five aldermen who Ray voted. Cologne. Whoa. Uh, ah, there Tony, you go. Tony Preckwinkle. Yeah. Um, Scott Wagusback. Yeah. Was Leslie Hurston, I believe, yep. also yes. one of the votes against, right? So we have four. Yep. Yeah. Can you who was the number fifth? five? Joe Moore? Eh, no. Come on, Joe Moore. Come on. Well, I mean, he was. It's he somebody was who's gone now, right? Oh, yeah. no. Somebody yeah. left uh, shortly thereafter. Joe Moore had already uh, gone to the dark side uh, by this time. Come on. You guys I thought it was that. only on, on a manual. Five. I'll give you a hint. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, God, I want to give this hint without giving it to making it too easy. I mean, we got four out uh, of five. I, I, yeah, four out of five. He is from Luis Gutierrez's old Billy Ocasio. Board. There you go. That a boy. JK. Yeah. <laughs> well, they go. know it all. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Nice. Yeah. So anyway, for that I would have to say that's the absolute worst. We all agreement on that. Agreed. One. Of course. Uh, that that was I was gonna say. Yeah. By far. Say. The, I mean, what the, about the best? Well, the best. The Skyway uh, wasn't too good either. The best. Yeah. The Skyway. Yeah. I would say the Skyway could be in the top three because the, the Skyway just encouraged Daly to sell the parking meters. Thankfully, you know Midway never happened. Yes, yeah. definitely. Uh, best, the best is yet to come, D. <laughs> oh, God. All right. I mean, I can't think of anything. You guys think of anything? Is it the best that actually happened or that was proposed and didn't happen? Uh, well, how that do you happened. I, uh, I, I mean, that's, that's really uh, tough. I can't think of, I just cannot think of, it seems like we've been um, scrambling to figure out how to pay I mean, our bills. it's just been like toss and scoop, yeah. right? Toss and scoop. And uh, I just cannot. By the way, I mean, when you hear that, I mean, for me, when I hear toss and scoop, the first thing that comes to mind is like, you know, kitty crap. Yeah. yeah. And I it's just like, why would anybody try to use this as a euphemism? I, I, I have this, uh, the, my latest column in the reader, uh, where I have a little fun here. It's called A Modest Proposal. Uh, which uh, for all you English majors out there, you know, uh, the Jonathan Swift. And um, 
yeah, what I'm saying is since I've been unsuccessful in my attempts to get the uh, citizenry of Chicago to realize that with each new TIF district that the city imposes, they're paying more in taxes. I've been sounding this theme forever. So I finally said, you know what, guys, I'm going to raise the white flag and I'm going to surrender on TIFs. And I'm going to say, just make the entire city a TIF. If people are willing to pay a TIF tax, because every time you create a TIF, you pay more in taxes. If they're willing to pay a TIF tax because they're confused and don't realize they're paying a TIF tax, then make the entire city a TIF tax. Make, I mean, make the entire city a TIF. We'll pay more in taxes as a result because money will be diverted from a, throughout the city from the taxing bodies. And so they'll have to raise their rates. And we'll have a big pool of money that Mayor Lightfoot could use to pay off the pensions and pay our obligations. I'm like, if folks don't mind paying a property tax hike because when it's a TIF, what the hell? Just make the whole city a TIF. Like, you know, I don't know. I do. You know, Ben, it's this sentiment. And we were actually all at the uh, at First Tuesdays, right? When uh, I asked the question to you, Mick Dumkey, and Jason Grotto was there as well, if you'll remember, about the fair tax. Yes. So, I mean, I'm really worried because of that sentiment, right? So this is, Chicago is like the, the heart, right? The beating heart of Democratic Illinois is in Cook County, right? Of which Chicago is half of that population. Um, I am, I guess this is my plea, right? To, to folks with, with Governor Pritzker, right? To really get that amp because I think, and I believe that uh, all three of you, right? Which are very knowledgeable reporters, all concur that this is gonna be uh, this is going to be um, a challenge, and oh there's God, a lot yeah. of there's a lot of progressives that don't understand. They think like, "Oh, well, we passed it." No, 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 no. Uh, the referendum has to be sixty yeah. percent, and and I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. And people that are with us on many of these issues, and it's like, I it had the messaging has not been there. That election, by the way, that on the the referendum, it's not until November of twenty twenty. And there's already forces at work to undercut it, uh, to defeat it, which is so bizarre because there's some of those same Republicans who and uh, who have their hand out looking for TIF handouts. But it makes so, sense to def define your opponent early. Yes, they're defining their opponent. So they're against the progressive tax. They're against uh, raising the, the rates on the wealthiest people, and yet they want proceeds for some of the wealthiest people. It's a complete contradiction. We Socialism have, for the wealthy, we, capitalism yeah. for everybody else. <laughs> Pretty Absolutely. much. By the way, I urge everybody uh, to listen to the Willie Wilson interview that we did with Monroe Anderson. Uh, this very, they covered some of these same things. Willie was Is he gonna this. have new commercials? Well, Willie was in the studio promoting his reparations plan, and I support reparations. But I said, Willie, if you're gonna have a reparations plan, you have to have a way to pay for it. So you, Willie Wilson, I don't know if you know this, is, is basically a Republican. Yeah. Are you going to uh, join me, give people money. Uh, join me in my crusade to get a Donald Trump to take back the tax cuts so we raise back the rates on the wealthiest people and then we can use some of the proceeds to fund reparations and you never saw so much ducking and dodging by a politician <laughs> yeah. in a long time uh, Willie Wilson nice. the Republican is not for raising taxes alright uh, we have a Joe Biden update here young man uh, yeah I was just going to all right, Joe, Joe Biden. Biden uh, Joe Biden did it again, folks. As we head out the door, <laughs> as I head out the door for uh, uh, vacation, he stumbles a bit when he talks. I don't know if you guys saw this. Yeah, uh, he he's a bit like a grandpa, isn't he? 
Yes. Wow. Uh, he he uh, had a statement here. I'm doing this off the top of my head. Uh, poor kids uh, are just as bright as white kids. I think the poor kids and the white kids part are the same. I got that right. And uh, I think he probably meant to say... Rich kids. Rich kids. Rich kids. And he said yeah. white kids. Uh, Dennis called it a Freudian slip. Uh, <laughs> Donald Trump has pounced. Suddenly Donald Trump is very concerned about racial harmony. <laughs> right. Uh, and uh, so, gentlemen, what do you think? Do you think that... Uh, uh, Joe Biden is immune to these kinds of things because everybody just loves Grandpa Joe, or do you no. think this could hurt him? No, I think that. So we had talked about Kamala Harris's kind of soft underbelly, and mm-hmm. I think that um, you have that situation with Joe Biden where there's name ID, but I think you've seen some of that support crumble mm-hmm. because of gaffes like this. Yeah. I'm not sure. I mean, we have a president right now who has gaffes galore and no, it doesn't affect him. We had George W. Bush was certainly no stranger to gaffes. I mean, I think but it's a different it, base. I, I don't know. I mean, it's uh, it, it's everyone knows that Joe Biden has makes these gaffes. He's made them for years, not just because he's older now. I think he's always done that. Yeah. So I I don't know how much it's going to affect his polling a little bit, maybe. But I think people know what they're getting into when they talk about Joe Biden. So it's true. Uh, all right. Now, that leads me to the truth. Uh, two trivia questions we're going to close down the show with and see how good the political know-it-alls are. All right, we'll start with the age issue. Uh, Joe Biden, Grandpa Joe, we call him in the show uh, rather affectionately. Uh, <laughs> Uncle Joe. Uh, some, call. Uh, some people call him Uncle Joe. We prefer to call him yeah. Grandpa Joe here because <laughs> Uncle Joe old. has got... Uh, I mean, you're old Grandpa enough to remember Joe, who Grand- Joe Stalin is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait, Grandpa uh, Joe, Gramp- uh, Grandpa Bernie, and, and Trump is definitely like the crazy grandpa. Right? So <laughs> yeah, I want yeah. you to tell me in order from youngest to oldest. Oh, God the presidential candidates uh, in the Democratic primary. From youngest to uh, oldest? Uh, of the three oldest. The three oldest. Mm-hmm. Young Daniel, can you do it? The oldest is Joe Biden, is that correct? Uh, it, this you is gotta, Scott you Jeopardy, get, you have yeah. to give a key. <laughs> <laughs> you have to give an answer. Yeah. So, uh, uh, no phones, gentlemen, no phones. All right. I, I'm, Go ahead. Do I look like I'm fumbling my phone? Um, so I believe that the three oldest, if I remember correctly, are Joe, Bernie, and Elizabeth Warren. Okay. In what order? Uh, Son of a batch. Is of that the order you're going in? Joe, uh, the oldest. Yeah, let's go with that order. All right. I think I think it's Bernie, Joe, Warren. All right. But I could be wrong. And um, <laughs> the answer is. The oldest Democrat in the race will go in, uh, uh, start with uh, ascending order. Elizabeth Warren, she's 70. Uh, Joe Biden, 76. And Bernie Sanders, 77. Jacob, I won. Yeah, got what it. do I win? All right. <laughs> Boom. Now. Do I win a car? Yes. A car is in the mail. Okay. It's a, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a Hot Wheels. Yeah, it's in there. Uh, where's my right car? Right over there. Yeah. Nice. All right. Now. Uh-oh. Oh. <laughs> Almost went over the cliff there. <laughs> Who is older, Donald Trump or Joe Biden? Donald Trump. Trump, I think. And Joe oh. Biden is oh. older. Young Donald is 73. <laughs> Joe Biden is 76. You know? Oh, man. Not uh, even yeah. that close. Yeah. And well, Elizabeth Warren. You know, are, are we talking about mentally or are we talking about, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, before we let you out the door, anything you want to promote, anything to tell people about, uh, any, any uh, upcoming events, anything? 
Dan? Well, I guess I'll go. I mean, we're uh, just pay attention. We're yeah. doing party slate making next week, Thursday and Friday, August 15th and 16th. The party will be endorsing candidates, not for president, but for everything down ballot from U.S. Senate uh, on down to all the judges and clerk of the court. So pay attention. And, uh, you know, we'll be getting engaged then in the primary coming up in March 17th of 2020. So if you want to get involved, cookcountydems.com. We're always, uh, we welcome volunteers and anybody who wants to get involved. Uh well, I guess uh, I know that uh, President, uh, our mayor, Lori Lightfoot, was in the Polish National Alliance. Our friend Mark Dabritsky, he, Dabritsky, he was he was very excited about that. So just wanted to give him a shout out about that. But I think that the most important takeaway that we have is that we're not going to win this as Democrats if we don't get involved now. And so, sure, you might think that it's 2020, but reach out to people, get involved, volunteer, because if we do what we did last time, then we're not going to win it. And so that means we have to work harder. So get out there, work it, because we all are. <laughs> and I have a question real quick for these guys. Mm -hmm. You fellas going to see that butter cow this weekend? It's the butter cow, which has nine hearts to represent the nine essential nutrients in milk. That's right. It's made entirely out of butter. And, it, you know, it's a state fair tradition since at least 1922. Oh, my God. 1922. The butter cow. Did you know? Yep, well, of I'll, course. Be there. I'll be there next week, not the I, weekend. I but won't be able to Wednesday. make it this year. This is like the first yeah. time in years. But, you know, it'd be great. What about a honey butter cow? Oh, my. <laughs> honey butter. Yeah, I always I'm always on vacation when the state fair happens. I've never been to the state fair. Maybe one day. Oh, and OK, Dan. Dan's. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, boy. Yeah, here we I'll go. do it. Dan. OK, put the sign down. Uh, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but, well, Dan Pogoshelski, he's an ordained minister. I'll be officiating the wedding of Larry Blameyers and Julie oh. Pizarro in oh. Twin Falls, Idaho on the 7th of September. Oh, nice, nice. I hope th those are the right names. But, hey, listen. <laughs> Better brush up if not. Uh-oh. If, if you're, oh, oh, we got the commercial here. Hold on. Let me grab it. If you are looking to marry your loved one, tie the knot, as they say, well, there's one man that you need to contact, Dan Pogoshelsky. So, if you're looking to get married, the only question that you need to ask is, Danny P., will you marry me? Dan Pogoshelsky, ordained minister. Yeah. <laughs> that commercial brings in the business. All right, uh, Dan Pogoshelsky, Jacob Kaplan, thank you so much. We also want to thank Ramana Hussein. She was in here earlier. Uh, as Dennis and I have been saying, we're going to take a week off. We'll be back, whatever that That's Tuesday correct. is. What Tuesday is that, D? The 20th. Oh, very good. We'll be back uh, Tuesday, the 20th. Thank you absolutely, everyone, for listening. Hope you uh, have a great week and enjoy the bonus material. And I want to thank the man, the myth, the legend behind the board, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. And as everyone knows, back in Alton, Illinois, you know what his nickname is? White Lightning. Oh, yeah. Give yourself that all a week. <laughs> Take it out of petty cash. See you in about 10 days, everybody. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Downloaders, we live stream this program. It's true. Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time. Once again, at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel. Find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter, at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. Enjoy the bonus material. Until we get back, take care.